Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am. Welcome to the Lifeboats live stream. Well, it's been an interesting week here. I uh, got into a, got invited to a Spaces chat about censorship issues and so forth. And this was a little pause that put this together. Or Mometa is the, the uh, Twitter account that's hosting these with a couple other folks. And I didn't know they were going to do this, but they invited someone on named Arlo, who is a skeptic, let's say. And um, he is a very strict skeptic and adhering very much to the principles of skepticism. And according to Arlo, nobody's died from the vaccine and these injuries are extremely rare and unusual. And there's all this data proving his point and... Sam, you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it actually turned into two spaces. There was another one, I think it was the day before yesterday, uh, where we uh, somebody messaged me and said, hey, you know, they're back. And, you know, so I, I joined. I didn't know what it was again, but joined. And we hashed it out again. And this time it was with Arlo and his, uh, I guess, a friend of his, Dia, I believe was her name. And she used to work in government. So she knows how the government works. And they tried to explain the shortcomings of my, I guess, line of thinking because, you know, they've got all the facts and where they just kept falling down on their face. And I'm going to play a few audio clips. Unfortunately, the one, the, the most recent one, the, the first session got killed and then it had to be restarted and it turned into, uh, or it didn't get recorded. So that was the one I really wanted to grab some things from, some clips from, because Arlo was having a really hard time with the things that I was telling him. Like he, he mentioned towards the end that he was getting red, his face was getting hot, uh, he was getting angry at what he's hearing, and he doesn't know how to respond and doesn't know what to do, and he's confused. And remember how I talked about conflict and, and how you, you're presented with new information that like, conflicts with your worldview and then you go through this sort of internal process as well as mental process to sort out that conflict because you can't hold two beliefs that directly conflict with each other you've got to kind of figure it out and what a lot of people end up doing is they just retreat into what they know they they cling to well the experts the consensus over and over again I heard about the consensus and it was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of like banging my head against the wall uh, through some of this. But at the same time, I think it's valuable to sort of see what they're pointing to, what they're looking at, what their worldview is to sort of understand it and be able to, to help you guys talk to people like this because they're still out there. I mean, let's face it. I saw a video today of a woman talking about how she's just getting it and she's in the car crying. And I assume she's probably talking about taking these, uh, these injectables, but she doesn't really say, but like there are people who are coming to terms with the fact, I think that the world that they believe the, the paradigm that they were sold no longer exists, maybe never did. And the system has gotten so corrupted top to bottom that there you you can't rely on it any longer and, and 
that was, I think, another one of the critical flaws is they tended to rely on the data from officialdom because, well, that was the consensus. So, okay, uh, let's go to the clips. And then I've also got Elgato Mallow's got an article here about the uh, ONS data that I want to go through with you guys. This will tie in with the sort of skeptical discussion. We've also had this study come out about pregnancies and miscarriages. And, you know, if you listen to these establishment doctors, everything's fine, folks. There is no problem, of course. Uh, he doesn't really want to hear from us, us because he's limited replies after Jicky the mouse uh, came in and, and started posting in there. So I want to go through that, but let's start with some of these recordings so that you can kind of hear the discussion. I don't know exactly what this first one is. Can I, can I ask a question? Because I find this very interesting and in light of the things you're saying now, it makes me question some of the things that I've seen in your feed. Like, I don't know what to make of them. Okay. So that's Arlo. He was sort of the, the skeptic that was invited on and was, we were going back and forth a lot and he's recognizing I'm kind of sort of, I had just laid out my sort of worldview. And that is that I don't, I don't know what the truth is. I think about these things and I look for evidence and I try and put a worldview together that has the least conflicts possible, makes the most sense. And I hold on to that until new evidence comes along. And he really, I guess, couldn't seem to wrap his head around that. But Can I... Can I ask you a question? Because I find this oh, very interesting and in, in light of the things you're saying, now it makes me question some of the things that I've seen in your feed. Like, I don't know what to make of them. So it's not, you know, we don't always have the opportunity to go right to the source. So I'll go ahead and take advantage of it. But on February 18th, you posted uh, something from uh, an article by Steve Kirsch. Um, but it says, you know, what funeral directors know that you don't. In 78 years, they never had a 15-year-old who died from a heart attack. In December 2022, they had a one they had one a week for three weeks straight. Nobody is talking about it publicly. And then your comment on it was that's quite the hashtag coincidence. Um, are, are you offering that there as part of a, a thought experiment to challenge your your viewers? Are you suggesting that there is maybe something there interesting that we should be considering? Okay, so he you know I had to explain the whole coincidence threads that I did for months showing all of the notable vaccine injuries uh, and sudden deaths and so forth for uh, six months or something that I did that um, on some of the accounts that ended up getting banned. Um, but he, he, he just sort of, well, hold on. They had a one, they had one a week for three weeks straight. Okay. And the whole point of why I think that story specifically is significant that you have a funeral director coming out and saying three deaths in one week of this thing, this super rare event, what he's pointing to, what his skepticism is leading him to conclude is that, well, that's one example. It's anecdotal and therefore nothing can be derived from it. But that couldn't be further from the truth because a statistical analysis can be applied to it where you look at, and this is what, you know, this is what the uh, insurance, uh, not adjusters, but the actuaries do 
This is how they look for fraud. They say, okay, what are the odds of not one, but three of these young people dying in three weeks in a row? And uh, how, you know, what, what were the odds historically? And then they can plug in, you know, do some fancy math and come up with, okay, no, clearly something is at cause here. This is what they do with, you know, like boats sinking on the lake. And when they go in and do the analysis, nope, there's fraud here. And they go out and investigate and find that, yeah, these owners were paying someone to commit insurance fraud and sink their boat for them so they could collect most of the money. Like, that's how this information is used. And here you have a funeral director coming out and saying that, but the skeptic, like his skeptical process has him just push that off to the side and dismiss that because, well, it's just, that's just one antidote at the, you can't draw any conclusions, but you absolutely can from that because once, yeah, it happens twice in a year. Yeah. Okay. Rare, but probably could still happen. But three weeks in a row that gets off the charts. You know, we're in, we're in winning the lottery two, three times in a row territory that one person winning it three times in a row, let's say. So that's where I think sort of some of the, the, the skeptics tend to be falling down on the job. Okay, let's keep going here. You had to bear with me. Here it comes, hopefully. <laughs> oh, no, there we go. Okay. But I think what Steve's pointing out is he talked to a funeral director and said, hey, we've never seen this. And then now we're getting three in a week. That's the same along the same lines of what's happened with these uh, doctors in Canada, where we had several of them die in a very short period of time. And I, like, I've read the fact checks on it and they they leave out critical parts of the story. Like they come in and say, well, these doctors were sick for a long time. Yeah. Like six months after they got the shots, then their cancers came raging back, which is exactly something that we've seen and talked about many times because this thing shuts off. This is the toll-like receptors, uh, three, four, seven, and eight, shuts off the body's immune response, the sensors that are detecting cancers, detecting viruses. And, you know, you're just, your body's being ravaged by these things because your immune system has been suppressed. And so, the fact checkers don't acknowledge that they claim, Oh, these were long time illnesses. Meanwhile, I'm actually reading the comments from coworkers about it was really unfair. How, how fast and aggressive this cancer came back, connecting that with the hundreds of other similar stories that we're hearing from oncologists talk about. They've got patients coming out of remission. They're immediately in stage four. Remember we've read even medical records, examples, of people who had an MRI six months before, all clear, no cancers. Now, six months later, after getting the COVID shots, they have stage four cancer that would normally take years to develop. And they're extremely rare cancers as well, not things that we've traditionally seen. So, you know, the, the signs are there. You have to be willing to look at them. And I think that what the skeptics tend to do to their detriment is they try and find, okay, 
which um, fallacy is this so that they can dismiss the evidence without ever actually investigating it and looking into it. Because that was the other thing that was so stunning to me as we go through this conversation um, with Arlo. He didn't know about the doctors being deplatformed, the uh, nurses like Deborah um, Conrad didn't know about her getting fired and run out of her job for reporting the VAERS injuries. He didn't know about Dr. Mary Tally Bowden being, uh, losing her hospital privileges, being slandered by the hospital and, uh, pharmacies refusing to fill her prescriptions and everything. She, you know, she's going before the medical board and they're trying to fine and censor her. And I think that's going to a public hearing. And I mean, it just goes, on and on and on. And all of this was oblivious to them, to, to Arlo and to um, uh, Dia, I believe, because their skepticism, their approach, had them dismiss it before they ever investigated it because they are they go into this mindset with, okay, what do I, what can I do to disqualify this? Not let me look at it and evaluate the evidence. And, and like, that is such a critical flaw in critical thinking. And that's the elephant in the room. We've got these skeptics who are going around still thinking that nobody's been killed by these gene transfection therapies. Meanwhile, uh, yeah, it's just all the data is showing that, but they've also been propagandized to believe in officialdom, believe in this consensus-based science, which is, Another critical flaw that we'll we'll talk about some more here. Okay, let's keep going. But I think what Steve's pointing out is he talks oh, on, on it, and they they leave out critical parts of the story to push their narrative. And I've you know brought this up with debunk the funk, and he goes back to an example from five years ago of one doctor who died suddenly and uh you know says we'll see there it was happening before the vaccine so it can't be the vaccines i'm like that's not even statistically comparable because we've got three in in two weeks here and you've got one from five years ago so you know the, it was the, the whole coincidence hashtag was a way for me to sort of skirt the censorship and reach people and let them see firsthand what's going on it's interesting uh, Sam, that you mentioned you use symbols instead of letters and, you know, make changes to, to, to kind of confuse the algorithm. Is that something that you announced that Elon was planning? To okay. And so this, this section I'm going to skip because we were talking about just how, how to evade some of the censor, censorship. I would use the, the, the pipe symbol, the more symbol for an L and, uh, you know, other things that you could substitute in. And it will totally bypass the Twitter censorship filters. So I was able to talk about things like shedding uh, other banned subjects at the time and get the, that message out by using those filters. And it was a Twitter developer that I think made me aware of that when he responded that way to Elon Musk when the, he, the buy was announced. Okay like engagement and reach and all of that band. I would say it was less because, and so it didn't, in a way it, it was like a, it, it promoted itself, I guess, was just 
started out, but it was under 10 and went all the way up in the 70s with almost one or more cases in every age. And that was over just a few weeks, I believe. So there, it was happening so much uh, and it was being suppressed, but go up to what's happening here. So, so Sam, uh, in addition to uh, stacking up the anecdotal evidence for these things, because in my listening to it, my reading of it, it sounds like that's what you're you're referring to here. Uh, are we also comparing this against like collective? See, that's not anecdotal evidence. That is statistical evidence that shows this doesn't happen without something being at cause. But it, he's he's dismissed it as just like I said. Well, that's anecdote, so I don't have to consider it. I don't have to even think about the odds of five people in one family being vaccine injured and some of them dying. The data like by uh, CDC and other places, uh, you know, the actual incidence of heart attacks year over year. Yeah. So we, I, I was looking, <clears throat> I would, the way I started though was by. Okay. I'm going to skip that. So that talks about me looking at the vaccine injuries early on, noticing some patterns, and then going and looking for data that um, confirms or disproves those sort of uh, hypotheses, suppositions, whatever you want to call them. So did any of the experts that you talked to, and I'm just curious about this, I mean, right now we're focused specifically on this tweet that you posted about 15-year-olds dying from heart attack. Um, so you know, forgive me if we just go a little too deep on this one, but it's kind of the only reference we have at this point. Um, but I'm guessing the experts aren't saying that, you know, there is a, a side effect or a complication from the um, vaccine that's causing the heart attacks. Uh, oh, there's or, lots or of experts the saying MRNA. exactly that. There's lots but of experts saying drawing, exactly the, the, that. But are you, you, I think what you're referring to is the government anointed so-called experts. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the difference in myocarditis and, and a heart attack. Just that technically, since we're talking to the experts, that they're, they're different things. And it, it is a known side effect, a known side effect that the heart can uh, get inflamed from the vaccine vaccination, although it happens in very rare uh, occurrences, like, um, you know, 18 out of every 1 million doses. Which is, again, completely false. Why? How do we know that? Remember early on during the vaccination, I showed you the doctors who were doing the D-dimer test. They were finding it 42% of vaccine recipients shortly after are showing markers for clotting, markers for something wrong in their body, okay? And so this was, this was happening to, I think, the majority of the people who were taking these shots sustained some kind of damage from it but he's holding on to the, well, it must be extremely rare because he's not aware somehow his skepticism hasn't led him to, you know, he's, he wants to claim that, well, I'm looking at both sides here, but he doesn't know about the D-dimer tests. Like if I, I'm sure if I brought that up, he'd be like, well, what's that? <laughs> um, but that is different. No, that's it's, not. It's 25,000 out of every million doses. So he's talking about the heart damage being 14 or whatever in per 100,000. We've got studies from other countries. I believe it was somewhere out of the EU, one of the EU, European Union countries that found like 
it was actually 2,500 or, you know, far, far higher than anything that they had suggested per 100,000. So that number keeps going up just like the vaccine efficacy number has nosedived and gone not just to zero, but into negative territory because the people who took these injections are now more likely to catch COVID. They're catching COVID again and again and again, and each time they get a little bit sicker. And we've also gone in, you know, that gets into Gert Vandenbosch territory and what's happening with the class switching of the IgG three and four antibodies and uh, this, you know, the toll-like receptors and the lipid nano complex uh, lipid, just on and on and on and on. But the skeptics don't know any of this because once again, they only want to go as far as what do I need to do to disqualify this and not even look at it instead of let me look at it and consider this perspective. Oh, what no, is I, the number actually? I, I think I think you find one of the things being suggested around these fifteen-year-olds, these younger, these younger athlete types, is the scarring or the scarring that can happen around the heart um, from either myocarditis or so-called vaccines. Um, isn't an issue until the heart rates or blood pressures push to a certain level. And we're seeing mm-hmm. um, some of these ha- things happen to athletes um, once they're starting to push themselves to the extreme, these extreme levels. Um, we're seeing these these after effects. But um, I've got a little bit of a question more toward you, Arlo. Um, how did you feel about not being able to have these open, sceptical conversations throughout this period? Um, I, I have... Um, direct i've got a, i have a friend who's a doctor and he he um administered the vaccination to all of his staff they waited their 45 minutes and they went home and on the motorway uh he at just over an hour he had a allergic reaction to it and it was just lucky that he was carrying adrenaline and he had to shoot himself in the heart to actually survive um but because it was outside of the 45 minutes they had to wait, it wasn't considered um, a vaccination problem. No, it was a hashtag coincidence, right? All of these are. The hundreds and hundreds of stories just like that. Remember the guy who was in the car accident, fell out of the car and had the vaccine card in his pocket showing in the video? (laughs) I mean, how many of those did we cover That was the whole point of putting those threads together to show that, no, it's happening again and again and again and again. How many people did we watch over the last three years being rolled out of those centers on stretchers or sitting in the chairs and falling over or the, the 14 year old kid getting CPR in Brazil that died or the, the eight year olds. I mean, we, we watched a lot of kids get, CPR and and die after collapsing. And of course, oh, Sam, that's all anecdotal. But there was also no room or no place to discuss that conversation openly as well. That's right. So from a skeptic's perspective, how, how did you find the way the way things were dealt with, especially around censorship? Sure. Uh, and, but first, I'd like to draw a distinction between anecdotal information, right, and data, because it seems like we're making a lot out of, you know, isolated anec- anecdotal incidents, which are, you know, See. compelling no. and interesting. But 
No, they're not compelling and, and interesting. They're statistical anomalies that fly in the face of the claim that vaccine side effects are extremely rare and unusual. Do you remember when they told you that over and over, extremely rare and unusual? I mean, sure, these things happen, but they're extremely rare and unusual. They all said it. They all told it to us over and over and over again. Like you're being propagandized with a lie told enough times to become a truth. Total evidence is not evidence, right? You, you can only see trends in large numbers of data. No, um, no. You can see statistical anomalies in small sets going exact through exactly the process I just described. If it's 14 in 100,000, but yet you see it with five family members, well, that 14 in 100,000 is not true, especially when I can give you multiple examples of that. And we saw that over and over and over again. But as for the censorship, to, to my Anecdotal knowledge... Anecdotal evidence is the first step of science. Science is about going out and observing the world, forming hypotheses, and then... Uh, looking for further evidence to test those hypotheses. It's a perfectly valid step. But if it's real hard data that you want, uh, go to the ethical skeptic. We're at 551,000 excess deaths. These are uh, natural cause, non-COVID excess deaths above the baseline since MMWR week 14 of the CDC's own data. And, uh, you know, he's gone six ways to Sunday showing you how they're manipulating this data why it's very clear that they're changing policy to cover this up. Uh, so the excess deaths are there. And I think what I hear skeptics like um, Debunk the Funk and others, they'll point to the current CDC data, which doesn't account for the 50,000 missing records from the upgrade or the, the R99 codes that they're stuffing all of these excess deaths into to miscategorize and report and show that everything's fine. So the skeptics, I, I think the biggest flaw that like I have with or the fault that I find with a lot of skeptics is they will take the government data as, uh, as fact and they, they yes. fail to acknowledge or recognize that we're in this paradigm where these government employees have been compromised. They are lying to the public and they have engaged in mass murder and they don't want to be, be held accountable for their actions. So they're going to do and say anything they can to sweep this under the rug. So if now that's another important distinction because in order for the Arlo and uh, Dia's worldview about, you know, conspiracy theorists like me, in order for that to be true, there has to be this grand conspiracy that everyone's in on it, which is clearly impossible because it wouldn't be kept secret and on and on and on. And how could all these people keep working together? That was their sort of retort at every level, whether we were talking about what's happening in the universities or what's happening in the mainstream media or what happens with the journalists, is that their worldview was, well, anyone who is working uh, against, let's see, is working with the establishment has to be in on it. Like they have to know all the secrets, which is just simply not the case. And I tried to make the point over and over again that like these are people who are acting in their own self-interest under a system that doesn't create proper incentives because they don't have, you know, a profit motive. They don't have 
uh, desire to compete. They don't have to do good customer service. They're not held accountable for their actions. They're not punished for bad behavior. In fact, in government, when you fail, you usually get more resources, more responsibility, a bigger staff, new powers. So failure is actually rewarded in a government system, which is why they grow more and more corrupt over time and eventually lead their people down the road of democide through various different mechanisms. And, you know, like that just, that seems lost on them because they're trapped in the paradigm. You're relying on these people as your source of data. I, I, I kind of find that I'm like, how can you call yourself a skeptic when you don't question the government's narrative and their motives? Right. So that, that's why you look for consensus, right? I, you don't rely on people. You rely on the data. And so, if okay, the, but there's the problem with consensus is the, 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 the people who objected and dissented, they were silenced and deplatformed and uh, attacked professionally and run out of the profession and fired from their jobs. So they don't have a voice. So consensus is fucking meaningless in that environment. Yeah. So you guys have, al- have alleged that there is this, you know, conspiracy of censorship. Um, Joe Rogan has, you know, the biggest media platform in the world, and he's given voice to plenty of people. That are- and you know what? I was saying the same things Joe Rogan said on his platform, but six months prior, and I got kicked off of Spotify for it. They just erased my show. I get listeners saying, hey, Sam, what happened to your podcast? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, they just deleted the feed because they want to go with, you know, if they're going to have that, eventually it's going to come out. They recognize that. But Rogan's going to sort of sugarcoat it a lot more than I would. And they get to make money off of it. Raised these and similar concerns. He said six months later. Write me, hey, what happened? Why did you demo side? Okay. Really flawed thinking. Right. And so now you're you are offering a, a counter narrative. And I know that you wouldn't presume or expect us to take you at your word, right? We've got to do our own research. But so when I compare, and I fully expect to go look at the ethical skeptic, and I, I look forward to looking up some of the other um, sources that I'm sure you've cited. Uh, but when I go and okay, so little update on that. He did actually go and look at the ethical skeptic. I linked him the article on heteroduction, which talks about sort of the flawed approach of mainstream science, the whole peer review process and everything else that goes along with it. And how when something comes along that upsets the apple cart and overturns conventional wisdom, accepted science, there should be no such thing. Uh, it comes in spurts. It's met with resistance. It's uh, attacked and shamed when really this process of heteroduction would actually allow a mechanism for new paradigms to break through. And he uh, it didn't really seem to comprehend that one. I sent him Houston, we have a problem, part one and part two. And what he concluded after that is those were really complicated I didn't understand them and uh, pointed out, well, hey, 
I made a three hour video on it, explaining it, breaking it down in very simple, easy to follow and understand terms. Why don't you go watch that? Well, if it's a three hour video, this is his response, then clearly it's very complicated. Therefore, he was out. Like it couldn't, couldn't be true because it's too complicated for him to understand. And of course, he's talking about the ethical skeptic who has used skepticism to make millions upon millions of dollars. How much has Arlo made with his skepticism? And of course, the reason the ethical skeptic gets that kind of money? Because he's right. He's been proven right in the face of the consensus telling him he's wrong. He's done that over and over and over again. But here Arlo was just, you know, and this was in the the next uh, Spaces chat that we were both on. He just dismissed it out of hand because, well, it's too complicated to understand. (laughs) And he's like, he's got all these data sources. And I'm like, no, there's three data sources. I can name them. Can you? (laughs) So again, he's just so far out of his depth here. But his approach to viewing the world through the skeptic's looking glass prevents him from, uh, you know, seeing this 400-pound gorilla, that, that pink elephant in the middle of the room. And his approach has led him to make this wrong decision that has deadly consequences. Compare, right, all the data that you're referring to, and I look at the critiques and do the same for the CDC and everyone else. Uh, you know, at the end of it, I, I expect to be able to make some kind of a, you know, an educated guess or reasonable conclusion. Um, and I, sure. I imagine you expect what, you know, what will be most reasonable uh, or most most clear from the data is that there is this vast conspiracy, right, to to um, silence the truth. No, I, to- I didn't say there's a vast conspiracy. I said that there are people who have committed crimes, that people have died as a result of the lies that they pushed. And now they're trying to save themselves. So right. it doesn't have to be this one overarch. Well, yeah, but it doesn't have to be one grand conspiracy done by, you know, George Soros or something. You, you have, see, government is this mechanism that has these misaligned incentives and it um, creates these perverse behaviors that don't happen in a free market where they have, you know. Okay. I'm going to skip that part. You get the idea there. Um. But again, you see this idea starting to creep in of, well, this would be too big. It's, it's a giant conspiracy theory. No way could this be pulled off. Uh, I guess running the government and the politicians kind of come and go. Uh, their motivations and the environment that they're operating in, and it's kind of one of the things that helps me predict uh, and, um, I guess, label their behavior and by looking at their motivations. So help me think through this then, because I do want to understand it. Um, For me, it's easy to understand if there's a dangerous and deadly virus, I can understand the incentive to want to create a vaccine and protect the population. What is the other narrative or what is the incentive to want to um, shut down? How do you know there was a dangerous and how do you know there was a dangerous and deadly virus? Can I just jump? So the, the reason I'm pointing that out is, I'm trying to say, look, you're relying on assumptions here. Have you, have you looked into those? Do you know that people were actually dying from this virus or dying from the protocol 
that was pushed on them, specifically talking about remdesivir here. Because we've heard from the victims of family members who talked about how their loved ones were given remdesivir and died, put on a ventilator, put through this whole process, this uh, recommended care that was pushed by the CDC to the hospitals. The hospital internalist adopted it, pushed it on all the doctors. Any doctor who didn't go along gets fired, hospital privileges revoked, and they're done. They're no longer allowed to practice. That choice has been removed. And, you know, there's another section in here where he's talking about, well, you go to a naturopath, you go to this, you go. No. You, the, the, we are restricted and controlled in what is acceptable practice of medicine and what's not. And that is the problem. This monopoly is being used, has been weaponized and turned against the people. Jump in here for a moment, Sam. Oh, I didn't sure. realize that that was. That, um, that- so this is a little pause jumping in. Some of you will recognize his voice. That also is I'm disputed. A, uh, if, if I was going to say three names right now, it would be Barrick, Desic, and Fauci. Now, Fauci has sworn, and we're talking about the, the truth here, in front of Congress many times that there was no gene therapy involved. But just off those three names, Desic, Barrick, and, and Fauci, would that be leading more towards the one of the maybe potentially another lie? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by another lie, but I mean, there, those you've identified sort of three of the ringleaders who helped um, develop I'm gonna skip that. components and trying to just a mountain of evidence out there. They sort of retraced their steps over the years. Uh, Sorry, who is know, they? I'm just trying to, they, I'm just, uh, yeah. the, the mouse army, the, the project drastic people. Um, so there's another thing that he's completely unaware of these self-organizing collectives, these groups of people that come together around a common goal and work to uncover that, you know, Brooks Jackson is at the center of one of those with all the stuff that she's put together, looking at the, the, the trial materials and so forth and breaking that down. And she's been helping with, uh, interpreting the Pfizer results as they've been released over time and pointing out some of the flaws and problems in there. You've got, uh, Charles Rixley and JJ Cooley and several others in the, in this drastic sort of self-organizing collective that dug into all of that as well. And of course, I think he's going to say some more here. I've got a, a project, a, a document here about Project Jurassic that I want to show you guys. But are, are, they, are, they, all the, the, in, are they all working in concert? Uh, they, well, they're all they a, a coordinated group, or is it just a, a bunch of different organizing dis, collectives, um, connected groups that happen to be working toward a bunch of people who come together in small groups with subject matter expertise apply that and get to the most correct answer and can defend why they came and arrived at that particular answer versus any other ones and why the other approaches are flawed and their approach is superior. That's what has been happening on Twitter. That's why it's been shut down. And you know, we read that Elgato Mallow article about Kung Fu and how the public health experts are not tested in the ring. They give themselves credentials, pats on the back, but they don't go out in the real world and defend 
uh, their claims. And when they do, all through the pandemic, the, the pandemic, they got destroyed by people who did know what the fuck they were doing. And like, this is all oblivious to these skeptics who, you know, just want to find, okay, well, how can I dismiss this instead of how can I understand this? Or the same goals. I would say they are all individuals who, you know, like some of them do lab research. A couple of them do lab. Got to unmute if you're talking more. We just don't know about, so just tuning in a little bit there is right now and and this is where that decentralization conversation comes in because yeah how do we get these clear clear lines of communication going i mean during uh all of this and i mean i do have skin in the game and in the recent conversation because i have five in my immediate family that are, are vaccine injured and none of those are reported none of those are on file none of those um meet the criteria but um and so that's, it's a hard one for me, you know, because I love my family. But um, as I said, five is a lot. Um, and it goes all the way from my mum being really badly neurologically damaged. Um, my sister's really bad as well. None of them wanted it, but they got, the government got leverage over them. I'm in Australia. So uh, my mum wanted to see her grandkids. So she had to come down from, um, from Brisbane. And to do that in Australia, you had to be vaccinated. And my sister needed to pay her mortgage. So um, she, needed, she wanted to work. And to work in Australia, you had to be vaccinated. But they, they, they knew that. And uh, so that's why I have skin in the game in this one, because I said I got five. And um, if it's lightning, that's your chance of getting struck by this thing. Then uh, lightning struck five times in my family. So therefore. I- and there's another statistical anomaly on this call. Little Paws has five in his immediate family. So you could come up with an average number of how many's in your immediate family, apply the 14 per 100,000 with this specific side effect, you know, these rare and unusual side effects, and derive the odds of that happening five times in one family. But guess what? Stephanie was also on the call, and she's got five relatives in her immediate family that were also vaccine injured, two of which are dead. So... You know, we're we're now at the stage of of the same person winning the lottery five times in a row here, and Arlo's like, well, I mean, that is anecdotal because it's just a one off, but it's it fails to acknowledge that it absolutely destroys the claim that these these side effects were rare and unusual, extremely rare and unusual, as they told us, as they propagandized us over and over and over again. And the fact that he's not aware of this, I think just shows you how the skeptic, his mindset is, again, how do I disprove this using one of my skeptical maxims and move on without actually looking at the evidence? And that process, that approach, has led him to now hold the view that nobody has died from these injections, which is just absolutely batshit crazy i just want to make sure that we can now speak openly and freely and clearly on this channel and we seem to stop getting censored now um so that's why i just like to have the open discussion you know so that it can be free-flowing and that's what i wanted this uh web 3 town square to be about so anyone who wants to jump up and just and have a chat on this topic absolutely love to hear from you just your experience the information we've been getting. So if you're down there in the audience and you want to have an opinion, 
wait for people to storm the gates and cast for the topics and contents that, uh, co content. It has not. Um, I do the show that only because you, you know, your audience gets cut down to a third of Hey, after I got kicked off of YouTube, I, I was talking about censorship there. Okay. We'll skip that. Let me see what this section's about. Um, possibilities until we have a, a true definite answer, which we don't right now. Do you teach kids the scientific? Okay, so this is the light shines. He was on the call. He's actually in the spaces chat. And uh, if you want to jump back in and add something to this, you're welcome to our thoughts from the last two calls that we've had. He is a science teacher. Oh, yep, here he is. Hold on. He's a science teacher, and he was explaining how he has to stick to the curriculum. Like he can't stray and he tries to encourage his students to think and ask questions. Uh, okay. Light shines your How on. you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Yeah, it was, it's interesting listening to, um, the discussion here. Um, God, I, I just in, just in my immediate uh, network, I, I could tell you of probably about three people that have passed from getting the vaccine mm -hmm. and probably another five people who have come down with cancer and inexplicably uh, are rare and unusual and, and also um, have passed it. And this is in New York. So yeah. um, a lot of people here, uh, it, it's tragic. It's sad. And if anyone... It, it, yeah, I could say it's anecdotal, but look what Edward Dowd was doing. He was looking at not, he wasn't looking at uh, medical data. He was looking at insurance data, and the mm -hmm. claims are astronomical. 40% increase in in sudden deaths and where these uh, insurance companies had to pay out in climbing. So, I mean, at that right then and there is a statistical anomaly. And the only thing that has changed since 2020, 2021 was the vaccines. So That's anyone right. with a, a clear thinking um, uh, mindset, you're going to have to say, well, let's look at the vaccines and at least look at them. But if you're going to just, just dismiss it, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and that, that was the first one, the way that sort of came out. And I think he was looking at some stuff at financials to try and, determine what's their profitability doing. But uh, it, was the, it was the CEO of uh, Lincoln something insurance, I think. And um, he was talking like to a chamber of commerce meeting, didn't know this thing was going to go viral and so forth. And yeah, they're seeing a huge increase. But what they then immediately came back and said is, well, we're going to have to raise rates for the unvaccinated, obviously, because they assumed because they had been programmed to believe that. And, you know, he probably took the shot too, uh, to believe that they're working and this problem, therefore they just automatically jump to, well, this has to be because they didn't take the shots and, you know, the numbers are continuing to prove out and it's not just the dead that we've got. There's also people that are disabled and unable to work because they're dealing with just severe, horrific, uh, vaccine injury symptoms, whether it's different kinds of neuropathy or headaches or dizziness. Some of them can't use their legs. I, I mean, just all kinds of things all across the board. And the numbers that I looked at for that, it's been a while. I think it was, it was either two or 3 million above the baseline that are on 
government disability now. So that has taken off with it as well. And all of this is affecting the workforce. That's why you're going in and seeing help wanted signs everywhere and restaurants that are shorthanded and all these companies that are shorthanded and the supply chain is breaking down as a result. And I think that's going to continue over time as the die off uh, continues. So, Right. And these people who, um, that were looked at in the insurance claims, these were physically, you know, at the, you're talking at 20 to 40 year olds. You're not talking, you're not talking people who are in their last legs of, of breath. You're talking about, so the only thing that has changed in that regard was that the vaccine was forced on the population. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're going to keep seeing more and more of that. It's becoming undeniable. That's why I think in the last month, really, I think the tide has turned and, uh, you know, I've noticed on Twitter now that the censorship's gone, it's these so-called public health officials that are blocking everybody and restricting their comments and so forth. Um, you know, in fact, why don't we go to like this one right here? So this was a study that came out. This is Dr. Mike Rimmer. <laughs> okay. He, and he's really pleased to share that our latest systemic review and meta-analysis of COVID-19 vaccination and miscarriage or ongoing pregnancy live birth. And well, what does it show? We found no increase in miscarriages or a reduction in the live birth rates when women in women who received the COVID-19 vaccine when compared to women who did not receive a vaccine. These data report pregnancy outcomes in a, roughly 150,000 women and combined data from 21 different studies. Hope this can be used to help women make an informed decision on if they wish to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Imagine like still thinking there's people on the fence about this. Uh, I mean, there are, but very, very, you're talking about a very, very small sliver of the population at this point. Um, and so this is a joint effort. Well, Jicky gets in there before the comments were shut off. Hey, Mike, a few questions about this. The most important, is this your work entirely as the first author or were you provided any part of this manuscript in draft or whole by another person? Because if you remember, we've covered some, uh, some of his stories and so forth where there were, there were studies and the numbers were fabricated. It was synthetic data. He proved that through his analysis. And then it later came out that, yep, they were given this data later. So, you know, completely fabricated study. He's asking that question. He doesn't get an answer and he ended up doing a debunking thread. But if you read this guy and this is what all the official doctors are going to repeat, then you would think that, yeah, everything's fine here. There's no link between miscarriage. And this is what the mainstream media propagandists are going to push. Is it the case? Well, he did a, uh, Jickey did a debunk here, huge red flags on this, over this pregnancy and miscarriage paper, which is absolute junk. We're going to dive in and show you why this should never have been published and anybody associated with it will be forever tainted. Uh, Here's the first red flag, redacted tables. I mean, it looks like something like we're asking the CIA about the JFK assassination here. Not quite that bad, but they've got 
blacked out sections, titles of tables that are the data that you're supposed to be able to look at and evaluate. And we don't even know what it is because they've blacked out the titles. Uh, so he's pointing redacted tables. I have never seen this in more than 20 years of reviewing papers. This is from the actual PDF on the, uh, hum repod page for the paper. So he, you know, of course he traced it back to the source. Uh, next tweet here. He's saying now we're going to have to assume because the titles are redacted that the first forest plot shows the miscarriage rate in each study, the biggest square, the bigger, the square, the more waiting in the study generally more uh for bigger studies so the two one largest ones receive a red flag so there you can see you've got these little squares on this chart here or on this really it's more like a table and there's two giant blocks that's probably 60 80 percent of the study data in these two ones one's the catchkins the other's the carbanda i guess probably murdering those enunciations but uh, he's saying this raises a red flag. The Kachkin's study is a miscarriage rate of only 0.7%, and the Carbanda study has a miscarriage rate of 12.5%, both given similar weightings. How is this possible? How can you be that far off? Because there's traditionally a, a fixed rate that you see around the world, you know, with some variation, of course. Well, let's look at the included study. And I think, I think we did that, but hold on. Let me go. No, let me just keep going. The answer is, is there. You just have to understand the wording. 49 out of 64, 6,244 equals 0.78%. But this is just the women that reported a miscarriage, quote, at the time of the second dose. So he's highlighting this document here in the study uh, and the trimester of vaccination, who, hugely important, is not stated. The earlier it is, generally the worse off it was. So it's talking about among pregnant participants, 7,800 individuals, 4.4% got the first dose, uh, and they had a 7.5% miscarriage rate after the, the second dose. In this other study, or Later on here, they say 49 individuals, 0.7% reported miscarriages, miscarriages at the time of their second dose. So what's happened here? Well, in this one study, one of the two big blocks in their data set, they, didn't, they seemingly didn't follow up. And so they just assumed that, well, the, the, the data set that they're reporting on is miscarriages by the time of the second shot, basically and not any time after that. So that's where they're getting this lower number. The uh, Katchkin's paper should not have been included because it was not looking prospectively for miscarriage. It was merely reporting short-term events in a narrow window of women who were pregnant, many of whom would have already passed their first trimester. The authors were also double-dipping, taking Fees from Pfizer and the NICH, and it goes through you know the usual players. You got Pfizer, Glaxo, Smith Klein, uh, you know all sorts of ties and and financial conflicts and so forth. Worse, the 0.7 percent miscarriage rate is impossible unless you are including women who were in advanced weeks of pregnancy, 
Once you get past 14 weeks, miscarriages uh, rates fall to this level. This is what the uh, Katchkin's study did, ignored the group of interests in the first trimester. So the ones most at risk, cut those right out. The baseline miscarriage rate in normal population after diagnosis by ultrasound is well established at 5 to 6%. Big Pharma will have you believe it's up to 25%. It's not. Irrespective of whether you agree with the baseline rate or the fact that there is such a discrepancy between these two studies, yet we were given a, they were given a similar weighting shows that these authors were not competent to write this meta-analysis. They're comparing apples to oranges here, and this is a huge chunk of their data. Now, let's look a bit more at the 2021 Magnus study. This is actually a case control study, so shouldn't have been used in this context. It's going to overestimate the rate. It wasn't even a study, but was a letter to the discredited Lancet Gate NEJM who published it, right? And this this was, again, another one of Arlo's appeals to sort of the consensus of scientists and the peer-reviewed process, and I want to see a peer-reviewed study. Well, does he know about Lancetgate and what happened with this whole Sturgisphere data? That it turns out that whole thing was just one giant lie? I think that's right here, the curious case of the miscalculated miscarriages. What is the rate of miscarriage in pregnant women receiving the vaccine? Oh, wait, no. Hold on. I don't want to go there yet. Okay, the 2022 Magnus study, follow-up study is some of the is of some interest and underpins a previous meta-analysis touted by this Vicky Male woman who says, "Oh yes, everything's fine with pregnancies." She's basically a propagandist. Uh, who doesn't understand the role of co-founders in clinical trials. It was quoted but not used in this analysis. Uh, using the same pregnancy registry does not include data on miscarriages to confirm or refute the 2021 study massively co-founded. So again, he's just going through here and finding, pointing out all of these problems and how you can make data say whatever you want. And a lot of scientists or peer reviewers are not taking the time to really dig into this data. And this is what has been one of Jicky's contentions going on three plus years now is that if this sort of research is being publicly funded, the data, the raw source data should be disclosed to the public so that experts like him that actually know what to look for, know how to do this analysis can put it together. And instead they're refusing to publish it. They're redacting it on and on. Okay. The big big red flags on this study, there are big red flags on this study. The first is the overall calculated miscarriage rate is super low. Uh, 264,000 registered pregnancies, 13,000 miscarriages, a 5% miscarriage rate. That's a huge finding Um, because this is supposed to be a major U.S. EMR database. Uh, Clarabanda through Pfizer, Moderna, and the CDC under the bus. If the baseline miscarriage rate should be 5%, then why did the CDC gov say that their post-vaccine miscarriage rate of 14% was okay? Or is it possible that the Clarabanda data is too good to be true? Well, who was the supervising author? One, Heather S. 
Lipkind, the DSMB members were likely, were literal Pfizer employees. So once again, massive, massive conflict of interest here because they've all been corrupted with this money. The fact that Pfizer paid DSMB members is a travesty revealed recently under the deposition of uh, Catherine by Aaron Siri. That, that's the attorney for the, uh, what is it? informed I can informed action consent network. That's Dell big trees charity that also funds the high wire. So he's been doing all sorts of, uh, of record requests and so forth. And that was something that has come out. So what about, uh, Elise Conderbanda? She's been very busy, 50 papers in four years, NIAID grant awards, Fauci's organization. So she's getting, She's on the payroll. She is also a big wig for the CDC's vaccine safety data link, the VSD, right? So this data set should be publicly available, but it's not. Therefore, we must assume it's synthetic or what it shows is pretty scary because there are only seven authors on this paper with over 200,000 pregnancy records. Data collect collection finished June 28th. The paper submitted, reviewed, and accepted August 26th usually takes around six weeks to review, revise, and accept a paper, but I guess they must have been in a real hurry this time because they did it in four weeks. If you're expecting me to believe that a small group of authors working full-time had time to write a paper on 200,000 pregnancy records in two weeks, I'm going to say one word to you, <laughs> Lancet Gate, which, again, gets into the whole thing where the NEJM, the most prestigious peer-reviewed scientific journal out there had to come out and redact the paper because it was hopelessly flawed and uh, really showed some serious ethical violations. Like, so, And again, Arlo's going to be here taking these people, taking their word as fact, as the undisputed truth and... Uh, you know, we should, we should blindly accept this, but look at everything else skeptical and then find the first thing we can to dismiss it without actually reviewing and, and looking at what it's trying to explain. <clears throat> okay. Jicky goes on. It's not possible to publish this paper with these authors. So I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you how I think the Carbonda study came about. I think it was ghostwritten just like the Desi Lan uh, Diazzi Lancet gate papers and based on synthetic data. So again, this, that's why he was asking that question. Did somebody give you this study and tell you to publish it because you're just a lackey on the payroll? That would explain how the miscarriage rate was so low, abnormally low, because the AI that synthesized the data generated it from an existing EMR data that was available. I don't believe that uh, Lipkind and Clarbanda analyzed this data. And he's pointing out a tweet here, Others are allowed to push investigational mRNA products. They were never tested in pregnancy on pregnant women, despite having documented Pfizer conflicts endorsed by the CDC. It's obscene. They are welcome to prove me wrong, submit data to the public domain, and we'll ask you some questions about it, about how you analyzed it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, they're not going to respond to that. Uh, and he's pointing out there's another name in the supplementary. Who is this person? What did they do? Et cetera, et cetera. And it just goes into more and more conflicts of interest. So 
huge conflict of interest also turned up in this article about COVID deaths of pregnant women. So that, yeah, and that's, that's what we see over and over is that this process is rotten and it is corrupted top to bottom. But there are skeptics out there who want to just take it as undisputed fact. Okay. Let's see what we had here. Definite answer, which we don't right now. Do you teach kids the scientific process or the scientific method in your science class? Yes, 100%. Question, um, investigation, testing. Um, and, and continue that process because whatever we learn today might be uh, bended again with greater technology, just like it has from the beginning. Or new information. I mean, because it sounds any- like you're... Hold on. No, this is really important because we have a, a science teacher teaching kids uh, who is seems to be very at odds with the scientific consensus on on most things uh, like climate change and certainly evolution. It is not even controversial that evolution is a fact of of uh, life and nature. Um, but the fact that you think that alternate theory. But see, here's the here's the thing where I just again, have to take issue with what Arlo's saying there. He's saying that, well, evolution is proven. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I, if I acknowledge evolution, obviously it's real. You can watch a mother defend her young and the mothers who are successful, their DNA continues. The mothers whose offspring get eaten or the mom gets eaten and then the offspring dies. Guess what? Their DNA does not continue. So in that sense, with that kind of pressure, that is uh, immune, not immune escape pressure, but the pressure to evolve, okay? So clearly that's happening, but does that mean that I also have to accept that uh, lightning struck the earth in, in this pool of goo and then we life evolved from there? Or is it possible that we were seeded here from some alien race that's genetic engineering just like we're doing now or starting to do now? It, it, it does, it, everything is not black and white. And I think that these self-proclaimed skeptics want to apply that paradigm to reality when it just, it doesn't fit. You should be taught alongside these things in a science classroom, um, is really quite shocking to me. Um, and suggest that you, you know, that you might not be as um, familiar or beholden to the scientific processes as you claim. Uh, you know, if, if you are going to challenge the mountains of evidence uh, in support of evolution from many um, no, corroborating no, and different wrong. lines of investigation, then you've got to have really great evidence on your side to upend kind of the, you know, the, the, the weight of all of that um uh, information. Um, See, Arlo, that, that's really, that's the problem with science. That is the science that delivered a hundred percent safe and effective vaccine for pregnant women. That's causing miscarriages and stillbirths and, uh, all sorts of fertility problems. That that's the, that's the way that government after government after government, if you look through history, eventually leads their people to democide, to mass murder and starvation and whatever else through this whole consensus process. What's missing from science, where it's gone astray, is it's 
it is exactly what you just described. Well, you have to have a mountain of evidence to go against the norm. No, we need this process of heteroduction whereby you can go out and pull in the pieces of accepted mainstream science for whatever that's worth these days, which is really not that much, but pull in the pieces where data suggests that a certain thing is happening and put those together into a new model and show that, oh, see this one component over here that was accepted science? It doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't explain these new phenomena that we're seeing, but this model not only explains it, but predicts these other things which we've now confirmed. That kind of science today is squashed. Those people are silenced and run out of the profession. And that is why, you know, the whole scientific process that you're describing there is not even valid yeah, because it's, it's science has been corrupted. What it is true. It's not true. What you're, what you're describing is the scientific process, right? Science is <laughs> all facts are subject to review and revision uh, pending new. And no, better not evidence. in today's. Not in today's peer-reviewed journals, they're not. Yeah, because the people who actually... dissent are run out and, and kicked off of the board. I so the you, you have this actually... one. So exactly, that's where he's, again, accepting this paradigm of, well, uh, that, that is the scientific process and that's what's going on here. And he's failing to recognize that that is no longer the case that that is no longer the case, and he has missed this giant caravan of red flags barreling down towards him right now because he has taken that as, that's how, well, I mean, that's the scientific process, so obviously the officials are following that, and he's failing to account and acknowledge that they've been compromised. All right. To echo, yeah, absolutely. The, the, more than anything else, the entire scientific endeavor, the, the scientific process is about um, accounting for human biases and then figuring out a way to mitigate them or overcome them. And absolutely, every human process, include, including the scientific process, um, is going to be riddled with human um, foibles like power and corruption and, you know, whatever um, incentives we may have. Um, there's always going to be industries and lobbies and politicians that are self-motivated and will try to corrupt um, the data or the science to their own ends. So, sure, it's a constant um, process of trying to account for that and correct for it. Uh, but there is no better, um, there's no better source to appeal to uh, when confronted with these things than the science itself or the data itself. Um, the, the data will prevail at the end of the day. Um, if, if Actually, no, Fauci, but Fauci will prevail because Fauci is the science. See, this is what, what you're appealing to, the, the scientific process of, of vetting and validation. And, and I just want to pause here to point out the data that he's relying on is things like this the Lancet Gate retracted article that showed that hydroxychloroquine was not effective and might even actually be dangerous. And they had, you know, well, look, he's going to, he would point to this and say, well, 15,000 patients from 671 hospitals were treated with this drug. And, uh, yeah, it, it didn't, didn't pan out. Well, what, and of course, another thing that, that they like to claim and, and sort of point to is why, any kind of grand conspiracy is improbable is because, well, there would just be 
all these different countries and they have competing interests. So they're not all going to jump on the bandwagon, which guess what? All of them didn't. Africa greatly mostly ignored this and had very little problem. But he, they also seem to fail to acknowledge that you have this World Health Organization pushing these, you have these, these a few small groups pushing the narrative. And of course, based on this, this retracted study, the article was uh, at first prompted the World Health Organization to decide on a global suspension of the hydroxychloroquine arm of an ongoing salt solidarity trial research involving 100 countries in the search for COVID-19 treatments. Remember what happened in Uttar Pradesh where they were given out these little COVID kits which had uh, ivermectin in them and COVID went to pretty much zero and then the WHO found out about it and they uh, stopped doing that. COVID comes back. They start giving it out again and it goes back pretty much to zero. It also prompted the European Union governments to ban the use of hydroxychloroquine for treating COVID-19 patients. So there's two organizations that no telling how much of the world population they've just banned from using hydroxychloroquine thanks to these bureaucracies, thanks to these global organizations. Uh, So what was wrong with the paper? Well, it lacked an analysis on co-founding factors like disease severity, outcomes, you know, on and on. The authors did not make the raw data publicly available. Once again, authors denied a request to disclose information on the hospitals that contributed to the data. Uh, The mean daily dose of hydroxychloroquine, this is in one of the studies, uh, was shown was 100 milligrams higher than recommended by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, while 66% of the data came from that country. So what did they do there? They overdosed people. And then when it made them sick, they used that data to say, look, hydroxychloroquine is harmful. We should ban it. And what did they do with uh, one of the ivermectin studies? They underdosed people and used it to say, this drug is not effective. Or, you know, they they gave a low dose, but then they were also giving it late into the infection. So it's a... It stops viral replication. Well, you have a window to use that. They were using it towards the end of the window when it's kind of too late for it anyway. And then coming out and saying, see, ivermectin doesn't work. These people are batshit crazy. And this is the data that people like Arlo will sit there and rely on to form their worldview about the safety and efficacy of of these drugs and these vaccines or these injections. To echo, yeah, absolutely. To, to, more than in stream, oh, it doesn't exist in the government paradigm. What you have are self-anointed experts who are getting funded and are motivated by that funded funding, and are leveraged and manipulated by these pharmaceutical cartels that push drugs out that kill people that do deadly experiments on unsuspecting victims and get away with it. And uh, to sit there and and pretend like. Um, Science is this unsoiled virgin is just absurd because the whole process has been corrupted. That's what I think I'm trying to to point out, Arlo, here is the paradigm has changed and you're still operating in the the 1940s paradigm of science that just doesn't exist anymore. Honestly. Whoops. Okay. And I'm actually trying to find 
the clip here. Bear with me for one second. Yep. The movie goes like this. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartel. Woody Harrelson on Saturday Night Live. He didn't get a laugh. Guess what? Uh, it's a vaccination is required to attend to go into the NBC studios and be part of the Saturday Night Live audience. So they cut out anybody who wasn't vaccinated, right? And he gets up there, calls them drug cartels, like I have been for years now. In the world, get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? <laughs> okay, so the movie goes and, like... Uh, yeah, that joke bombed. I wonder why. But again, the masses are waking up. People are starting to figure it out. They're putting the pieces together as to what's been done to them. And this is another great example of it sort of breaking through the uh, the awareness of some of these these people who still are in the mindset that these things work and they're safe and don't know the truth, don't know reality. All right, let's go back to this recording here. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I just add something here? Because this is about censorship, this show. And we started off with what that is now censoring the doctors. And that's, I know we were kind of talking about the different platforms where we get information from, but if we're censoring the experts in their fields, we're censoring the doctors. So they don't get to have an opinion. You agree with the narrative or you're out of here. You lose your license. And then we heard from uh, the light, you know, censoring the teachers. Surely a teacher gets to share an opinion and doesn't just get shut down because we need them to think. What other industries that help us see what's going on also get censored? So, Mo Meta, you don't draw any distinction between expertise and opinions. You think teachers should be allowed to teach whatever they want. We don't need curriculum. We don't need established facts. It's just whatever. Uh, it, it will just be at the whim of whatever teacher's personal persuasion is. Okay. I see uh, light shines with your hand up. Go ahead and unmute, sir. Come back on if you want to respond to this. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Um, I have to teach other theories as well. Okay. And in those other theories, and heliocentric uh, solar system, I'm, I'm allowed to give a pointing perspectives. But when it comes to climate change, when it comes to evolution, I am not. Which is because that's the new control paradigm. That's what they're going to use to further, I think, clamp down on our freedoms, on society, on our way of life, and use that as justification for why you can't have the things that you have today anymore. But the elite can because they're saving us all, is is my take on it. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add. Yeah, just one other thing. Um, I, I do give my opinion in the classroom. However, I let the kids know that it's it's my opinion if they act it. I, I don't go out and start spouting what I believe because that's not what a science teacher is supposed to do. I simply will give, uh, if so, if a student says, Mr. Morano, what do you believe? Then at that point, I will give my opinion. But okay. um, my job is to teach what curriculum is, 
and yep. um, hopefully discussion. And and like in my view, that's really the flaw that we have this one curriculum, and I think. I think there would be a lot more flexibility if we didn't have this monopoly government school system, but we had competing entities. Everybody could be happy because the market's going to work to sort of meet people's needs as far as what they want their children taught and how they want their children taught versus the one size must fit all approach of, well, now we're going to do critical race theory or now we're going to do this. Uh, I forget what the what the math, the way they're teaching math these days. It's just insane. And even when you compare with other countries, our, our kids are the, the, they're not excelling like the the kids in China or Japan or some of these other places. Not that like we need to do exactly what they're doing, but my point, I guess, in bringing this up is to point out that when you have this kind of monopoly. Uh, these choices, these alternatives aren't being tested in the market. And this goes back to, you know, like Elgato Mallow talking about they're not in the ring. So because you're restricting everything and forcing one style down everybody's throat, one way to do it, one belief system, there might be better alternatives out there that we just, we don't even know about that don't get discovered, that don't get used because they're prohibited and you have to teach the curriculum. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is parents have to get involved. Yep. And when parents are, they held, they can hold these teachers accountable instead of becoming activists, they actually will teach and, and be critical thinkers and raise discussions. And, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do, or at least we should be doing. Yep. And that's definitely something, uh, my mom did with, with both me and my brother growing up, we were problem childs for the, the government school system, as I'm sure you guys would be shocked to find certainly with me. Um, but she had to like really take them to task and, uh, you, you know, call meetings and say, well, you're supposed to evaluate them for this. Have you done that? No, you haven't. Why not? And then they, they suddenly, uh, started doing things that they weren't doing before. So yeah, if you don't sit up and take notice and call these things out and um, exert pressure and and make them a little bit uncomfortable, they're going to do whatever whatever they want to do. So I think it's a great point. All right, let's keep going here. And uh, hold on, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not going to. I see what's being same, told. Same thing with doctors. It doesn't matter what's established fact. It doesn't matter what research is. Just whatever opinions doctors have, they can, you know, they can give whatever medicine or spiritual advice they want. It's just, you know, all that's, all, all truth that's is well, aren't they, are, that's the are, oath they, are, they, they swore to. The oath they swore to was to do no harm. And um, I want a doctor to treat every single case individually. I want them to look at the individual person, diagnose and the treat patient the symptoms. And if they can but, treat, but you symptoms, don't want them to look at the you don't want them to look at the data or the evidence. I want them to look at all the data and the evidence, but I need to know it's clean data. Yeah. So if, doc, if a doctor comes out that is clearly in the minority on the efficacy of vaccines and is espousing things that defy or go against all the data, and uh, with all due respect to Sam, who claims that Fauci is science, 
um, I think that that narrative is hard to. No, no, I don't blame that. He said that. Right. He said that on TV. So don't make that my claim. That's his claim. Right. But if if we're going to prop that up as uh, an indictment on science, I think that we have to take into account the entire the broader context, because I don't think that Fauci represents science in China, for instance, or in Europe. Each one, every country around the world has its own uh, governmental or its own regulatory agencies. Uh, and so see, where where is he going here? He's going back to, well, I mean, for this thing to be uh, this mass depopulation event or this bad thing that was rolled out, everybody, all these different countries, health departments would all have to be in on it and they'd all have to participate when, uh, no, no, the reality is, uh, where is it back up here? It, all it took was this one study that was complete horseshit garbage and retracted for the world health organization and the European union to ban them in lockstep. And how many people, how many countries out there listen to the world health organization? A lot of them. So there's your global, there's your mechanism of global control. Do all these countries have to be in on it? No, uh, Arlo. They believe the World Health Organization. They believe the European Union. It has better experts than they do because, you know, they're just this small country somewhere. So they follow along with the herd, thinking that what they're doing is following the science, following the data. Well, the question they're not asking is, whose data is it? Because as Jicky pointed out here and has pointed out over and over and over again, as well as the America's Frontline Doctors, which again, that was an organization Arlo just somehow in his skeptical search to uncover the truth never found out about. They have been going through debunking study after study, pointing out the shortcomings in the data, in the analysis, and in the conclusions. And if you're not looking at that, then you are blindly accepting garbage as fact. Okay, we had somebody else that wanted to come in here. I'll unmute. I think it was Johnny. Yeah, we can, you're, you're a little muffled, but go ahead. Okay, sorry. I'm in a public space right now. Um, I don't want to. I'm not talking. I'm not talking. I'm I think I didn't previously discussing, but um, I, you know, I have I have done work for the NIH before, and I have you know gone through all these pathways, and it's interesting that what what has happened in the past few years, yeah, maybe the last ten years ago, is that you know previously NIH studies were not relying upon you doing the right answers; they relied rely upon you doing the right science. And that's changed. Um, it's changed, and, um, you know, I think that people are so concerned about getting the right answer that they think they're supposed to get versus getting the right results, regardless of what they're getting, certain things are, has corrupted science. And, um, I, you know, going back just a few steps, just a minute, um, when it came to discussion on evolution, that is not a confirmed law. 
that's a theory. <laughs> although, although I will defend Darwin in my last time breath, it's still a theory. And it's not yeah. down it's not down as a law. And even when you go a little bit outside of just the technical science and biology and maybe chemistry or whatnot, look at the sociology of the development man. We have lots of situations where evolution has gone in reverse. Okay. But where we are right now, there's these weird things that have been attacked. We have gone backwards. Now, I did bring up one point, and I don't, I don't think anybody took the time to, to enjoy it, but that was the, the, the idea of what's called the archaeobacteria, which is a real thing. You can look it up. It's not a mystery or anything like that. But the archaeobacteria, the reason why I brought that up is because it still exists right now. It's probably, if we were seeded by an alien force, it's probably what that seed was. And if this planet were to be destroyed by a cataclysm of a world material event, it would still survive. Now, yeah. we haven't evolved from that. We've diversified. We've diversified great, but it will still survive and we won't. And so, when it comes to evolution, these are real things that really exist on this real planet right now today. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. you got a really noisy environment in there, but I, I would I would echo those comments. That's what we've seen is, and this is why it's so dangerous for, uh, you know, like um, the NIH. They got twenty billion dollars after the whole HIV uh, pandemic that they created, and with this time they've gotten hundreds of billions of dollars and they get to hand that out and they approve they get to pick which grants do we approve which ones do we not and what what you know there i think there's a scientifically peer-reviewed study that says like 90 something plus percent of the studies find the answer that the people funding the study want them to and the nih if you think they're doing anything different using this the this massive stockpile of money that they've been handed over from these heists is what I would call them these pandemics then you're you're just not paying attention because that's exactly what they're doing they're coming in and they're going to put out uh requests for proposals or studies or whatever that support the uh, the, the current thing i guess it's probably the best way to describe it that are going to support where they want to take the science and you know what we've seen over and over again by looking at these studies and how they're manipulated and how they're getting through the peer review process over and over again it shows you can make the data say whatever you want so you cannot just as arlo seems to do over and over again take the data as fact and the conclusions about the data as fact simply because it comes from an official source. And there's so-called consensus about uh, that being the, the ultimate truth or whatever it is. Okay. All right. Let's go back here. For health um, and science. And so they, unless they are all in some kind of vast conspiracy, which is very hard to imagine, and they've all decided, you know, that these vaccines, uh, you know, are effective against the best interest of their people. Um, so he's talking about, well, everybody would, all the different countries, health organizations would have to be in on it. I just showed you why that's not the case. Um, 
you know, when you start looking well, at it in it, that kind of a context, that, it's that, a lot harder to justify this this narrative that Fauci is some kind of like, um, you know, puppet wielding master pulling the strings. Well, Arlo, your worldview is is biased and factually incorrect. China did not give mRNA vaccines to their people, not a single one. They went the traditional route with this thing. And that's why they're doing these lockdowns, because they know that this thing is a bioweapon. Arlo, can I answer the question you asked me? Sure. What I would have liked from all the doctors was the ability like to treat the symptoms of whatever COVID was. I wanted to be able to take the medication that's been used for, you know, decades that have treated symptoms. I didn't want the only option to be you take a vaccine or you get so sick by not taking the vaccine that you have to go to hospital. There are plenty of ways we could have treated COVID by treating the symptoms early on, which weren't allowed. They were like just simply... What? Like what? <laughs> what about vitamin D? Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide. There are plenty of things. If you think about NAC or niacin and these stuff, it was never talked about because they weren't allowed to be talked about. Treating symptoms. I just didn't understand why if you got COVID, you had to go home and stay in your house for two weeks with no vitamin D and stay inside, but you can't treat it. There is nothing to treat COVID. That's not I, true. I don't understand what you're saying. When you say no vitamin D, you're saying that, you, that you, vitamin D was banned? You weren't was why, why didn't they recommend it at least one time? They never once talked about the importance of taking vitamins. And you guys remember me bringing that up two plus years ago. They would come out and talk about the vaccines coming and this and that. I'm like, why aren't they talking about vitamin D? And what did I point to? Well, you had uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick go on Joe Rogan and talk about the studies that we had. This was early, this was like mid-2021, talking about, gee, 86% of the people admitted to the hospital have low vitamin D. It's 92% that get admitted to the ICU and 96%. Some, I'm, I'm just guessing at these numbers because it's been a couple of years since we watched that video. It's still out on YouTube. You could still go watch it. Okay. So we knew that vitamin D deficiency was a risk factor. They did not one single time come out and talk about make sure you're, take, you're supplementing vitamin D while simultaneously implementing policies, indoor lockdowns. Remember the guy who was uh, getting written tickets because he was taking his dog outside to let him take a shit because he didn't have a yard. He was in an apartment. <laughs> that was the, uh, you know, accepted practice. And like these doctors, like how? How can anyone look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense to me that they would do that. You're just not paying attention. I'm sorry. And maintaining a healthy immune system. And instead they locked people in their houses because where they wouldn't profitable. get sunlight. Yeah. Think about who, think about who got, so my, think about who got, I'm sorry. See, think about who like got patents on oh. all these COVID vaccines. Dolly Parton has money invested in it. She went on um, some interview and she did an interview for it. Bill and Melinda Gates are some because we just want to stay on the censorship. Sorry, I didn't mean to pause is getting us back on track there. We have got COVID that we would be prepared for it. 
And if we did catch COVID, then we could take the different types of medications that have been proven, which are now very proven. And now, I mean, they're recommending ivermectin now. They didn't back then. They, they pulled it off the shelves. They stopped I'd the dog. But now, I'd rather, now they're, they're, they're recommending it. Yeah, go ahead, bro. I was going to say, I'd rather they chase all the fat asses that are around rather than lock us all up inside. I mean, fat people are a bigger draw on society than what COVID was. Ouch. And the other side, which is ridiculous, is the smokers. The smokers, they told, you, they told you if you were a smoker that you absolutely had to take the vaccine because you were at the, the highest risk. But as it turned out, the nicotine converted into nicotinamide, and nicotinamide was one of the better things you could have should you be having um, the spike protein. So, And that was one of the things. How did we discover that? From Dimitri. Dimitri Katz. Remember, the, the, yeah, a little bit eccentric, crazy scientist guy who developed his protocol, how did he do it? He noticed, gee, smokers are doing really well. They said they were at higher risk because, you know, all the crap in their lungs, but it turns out it's a protective effect. Why? And then he started doing the chemistry behind it and developed his whole protocol, and he's the one that told us about NAC, which I think made a huge difference for a lot of people. Uh, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, but also the niacinamide and that kept evolving and he keeps changing his protocol and so forth. But, and you know, flush niacin is one of those as well. And that's something that I did and found relief from the, the five symptoms that I had after I either caught COVID or was exposed to spike protein or perhaps even MRNA, which is still what I think happened to me. And that was the only thing that worked. Whereas, all of these other, you know, maybe some of the other ones would have, but that was the only thing that sort of got my body back to normal was thanks to some of these people who were actually paying attention to what the data shows and asking the questions that these so-called public health officials were not. There was just a lot right. of information that we weren't given that the doctors could have given us. But you mm -hmm. know what? They were censored. Well, and I've so got to- you do me a favor and can you provide a link to an article that says that ivermectin is effective in the treatment of COVID? I don't believe that'll be hard okay, to provide, there, mate. There, yeah. Arlo, there's, there's about a hundred plus studies that have demonstrated that. And I then just you need would one. point to, I just need one. The best. Okay. One. There, there's a website you could, I'm with somebody. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Google. It's called what Google. you're going to point to is, what you're going to point to is the studies that were funded by the pharmaceutical cartels and the people that they have in their pocket. I don't have any and studies. They, I, I they gave a low dose that. to prove that it didn't work so that the manufactured consensus could come out and say, well, see, it's not effective. And then they ignore all of these other studies or find ways to discount them. And I think where, again, the fundamental flaw in your position here is you're failing to, to recognize Oh, I cut that off right there. Okay. So again, he's like, well, where is it? Where is it? And, and it's because he's just going to come in and look for the first thing that he can use to discredit a new piece of information rather than look at the information and evaluate how it fits into his worldview, into the other facts and data points and so forth that he's got, which is the process that I've undertaken and that many of you have undertaken here over the last few years and we came up with the right answer. Arlo didn't. 
course, he would say, oh, that is, that's not proven. <laughs> okay. Well, and, and again, here's, this, here's, I just, ivermectin efficacy finally proven in gold standard randomized controlled trial, Professor Colleen Aldous, January of 2023. So again, you know, the, the, the effort here was not to. So I think Sam's back now. Is that yeah. where we're throwing to? <laughs> Hold on. I left that plane. The whole thing was about delaying the alternatives, shutting down, pushing people towards the objective to get these shots in people's arms and make lots of money for the drug cartels. And, you know, of course the, the people who helped push this, they're going to be rewarded handsomely with seven figure jobs, corner offices that they don't really have any responsibilities, but they're just being, they're just basically delayed bribes because they did those pharmaceutical cartels a solid when they were in control of the monster that is government. a couple things that you brought up the the primary i think flaw in your sort of position is failing to recognize that accepted science is this monopoly that doesn't face competition mm-hmm. and it has this sort of conforming effect because all of these people have the same organizations signing their paychecks to push this narrative because government money has corrupted science and you were talking about, well, should you be able to go to a doctor that does this or throws out uh, accepted fact or whatever? Yeah, you, you should be able to do that as an individual. You should be able to go out and succeed or fail based on your own merits. And if w- what you're doing is working, then you should be allowed to do that. But that's not what exists today. What exists today is this monopoly on medicine, on the practice of medicine, which prevents some of these alternative solutions that might be superior to what the pharmaceutical cartels are doing from even getting implemented or practiced or tried. Mm -hmm. So again, you're acting like there's this level playing field and that is science, but failing to recognize that science has been completely co-opted and corrupted by the state. Top to bottom. Yeah, so science is a competitive process, right? And no, no. Again, not when you have even, 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 even if science and deplatforming people yeah, but, and deciding who gets to practice science, who gets to practice medicine, and who doesn't, and it's the ones that go along with the government's narrative. That's that obviously. Right, but, I mean, the COVID was the first time that doctors said we're not going to treat any of your symptoms go home and wait till you can't breathe and then come back and then we'll put you on a ventilator and through our death care process and ring the cash register for tens, if not a hundred thousand plus dollars. And failing to acknowledge that reality is, I I think it's it's short-sighted. Yeah, because I don't think that it's reality. I think it is an overly cynical and motivated uh, characterization. But it is a reality. But it, but it is it is a reality. I work for a health insurance company, and I know that health. Now, this is Stephanie Starr jumping into the conversation. She does healthcare billing, so she knows exactly what she's talking about. She's what you'd call a subject matter expert on this, right? And she's piping up and directly contradicting what he's claiming without evidence. Is this going to sway his his opinion? What do you think? Insurance companies, all the, the 
the major ones anyways, went to the White House and spoke to Biden. My CEO was one of them, okay? And the health insurance companies went back and they started incentivizing their providers. Mm -hmm. The more shots you can give to your patients, the more money we will grant you for new equipment, uh, new office furniture. Yes, it, money is definitely a form of corruption that you have to be aware of. And in the system, that's just the way it is. And you got to keep your eyes open for that. Right. And so you guys know that um, complementary and alternative medicine is a multi-billion dollar industry. Anyone at any point is welcome to go visit a naturopath or a holistic doctor or a spiritual advisor or get any kind of treatment that they want. It is an no. absolutely no. Treatment. That's not true. It is true. That's not true. That's not true because the, there are all sorts of things that are prohibited and controlled by the government, and you try and use it in a way that they don't approve of. They come in and shut you down and destroy your life. That is exactly what they did to a man named Doctor Sebi. Countless others too, especially when it shows that what they're doing is effective against something that the pharmaceutical cartels are treating instead of curing. So do you, think that the, correct. The, do you think that the health organizations in other countries are also victim to the same uh, governmental and pharmaceutical cartels as we are here in America? Uh, Absolutely. Do they somehow have underlying motivations that are different? What's that? I mean, they have this, they, so what I'm pointing out here is, well, are you assuming that they're they don't have the same underlying motivations that would drive this behavior in the first place? Because... That's the point I've been trying to get across to Arlo is governments don't have the same market signals as a company. Okay. They, they're, they're isolated from these market signals and that drives them to behave in a way that's different from somebody in the private sector. And those behaviors are, have certain commonalities that are going to be the same across all of these different health organizations. Add on top of that, the WHO recommendations, the EU um, banning of hydroxychloroquine and so forth based on that flawed study. That has been the game all through this whole thing. There was another study. I can't remember what it, 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 it basically slaughtered one of the sacred cows of COVID of their claim. I can't remember if it was about masks or infection or what it was exactly. And they there was immense pressure put on the authors to retract the study over a uh, missing citation. There, were, there was a claim made that wasn't cited in the index and they were pressuring them to retract it. So they did. And then what happened? They turned around and said, see, this entire study was flawed. That's why it was retracted. Was that true? No, it wasn't. And guess what? When they tried to, you know, uh, re republish it. Nope. Sorry. We can't do that now. So there's another way that science has just been hijacked that Arlo is completely oblivious to because he takes this approach of how do I eliminate this with my skeptical, um, tenants with the tenets of skepticism instead of actually taking an honest look. I mean, we already have we, are, we already we already have you know uh, pretty widely dis, uh, diverging um, policies regarding food safety and things like that from country to country. But I'm just wondering for medicines. Of course, what are they doing with the EU and that that whole thing? 
that was to further centralize that. They just haven't gotten around to centralizing the control of food, which is going to lead to shortages and rationing and everything else. <sighs> so, yeah, oh, man, yeah, you, it's just, uh, it gets frustrating. There were a lot of people at this point where, that were like, these guys aren't listening, Sam, you're wasting your time. It's different. If, if on the medicines, you know, the countries are more closely aligned or that the pharmaceuticals have a stronger control over the, you know, that kind of... I, I mean, it's Pfizer and Moderna that went around to country after country after country and pushed the same contracts. So. The pandemic was an example of everyone being in alignment. When else in the entire history of the human existence did the entire world shut down in two weeks time? Everybody fell in line. How right, but you, you guys, you guys that? think that is all evidence of some kind of vast conspiracy and not evidence of an actual no. pandemic that is indiscriminate from c- country to country that's actually killing people. But how can how so can how can it be uh, a, a conspiracy? Okay, so there again, he's got to go back to well, all, everybody's got to be in on it in order for this thing to get pushed, and he doesn't realize there are all these groups out there that have their own motivations, their own um sort of flawed isolating systems of government that will drive this behavior and the threat was made real to them whether it's real or not i don't know you know there's a lot of questions there as far as what was actually happening and what was being done you know we had um oh alunion john alunion to tell us about uh the not remdesivir but the um Oh, shit. I can't remember the name of the drug. Midazolam, I believe, where the UK government ordered 400% the annual dose and used it all in a year. And that's when he was going, picking up body after body after body, night after night from the nursing homes, sometimes still warm because they were injecting 12 milliliters of lethal dose and told to leave the room. He had a whistleblower nurse tell him that's what she was told to do. No idea. They just, he, he's got no idea of this stuff. I'm the biggest experts in the space for a very long time. So be sure to follow Green Eggs and Ham as he will be doing more crypto stuff. But just, I didn't mean to cut you off, um, but as we are getting into the nitty gritty of censoring the truth, um, and you're not wrong, everything you said is 100% correct. And knowing... Thank you for adding me. I appreciate that. So I'd like for Sam to talk about brought to you by Pfizer. So Fox. Okay. So that was somebody that was asking me, let me turn that up. That was somebody that was asking me about the advertising influence and the media influence. So we got into that and talked about how Pfizer is funding these uh, media organizations like CNN, MSNBC and so forth to the tune of tens of millions of dollars those newsrooms become dependent on that funding to pay their staff to continue business as usual. And if they start showing things that are in a negative light to the Pfizer cartel, they're going to pull that money. And that means they've got to lay people off. They may, may lose their $500,000 a year job as, as the manager of the newsroom or, or as a $300,000 news anchor or something like that. So, 
they are absolutely incentivized and manipulated by that money. And of course, they wanted to turn that into, well, all the journalists would have to be in on it. It couldn't, it couldn't possibly be any other way than if all these journalists knew about it and they all just happened to keep quiet. It's like, no, you, you don't understand how this works. And remember all the different ways, uh, heart attacks, you can, you can have die from a heart attack that they, that, that campaign, what did they do? Pfizer and the cartels clearly went to the editors of all their, the, the media organizations in their pocket and said, we were seeing an increase in heart attacks. Can you give us some stories on the different ways heart attacks can be caused that gets passed on to the journalists? They're going to do what their editor tells them to do, or they're going to lose their job. And so then we start seeing, uh, skipping breakfast could cause heart attacks. Uh, do you stay up late? That can cause heart attacks. Loud music can cause heart attacks. Honking car horns can cause heart attacks. Mowing the grass can cause, you know, like every stupid thing we got inundated with because that was clearly a, an agenda, an attempt to manipulate people into normalizing all of the heart attacks so that they, the normies wouldn't get spooked and wouldn't start asking questions. All right, Stephanie, why don't you jump in if you're, let me unmute you there. What would you like to, oh, I got to approve you. I'm sorry. I thought I did. There we go. What would you like to add? You're muted if you're talking, Stephanie. Hey, Sam, I just wanted to add to what you're saying about um, industries manipulating people based on the funding that they're receiving from outside entities. When it comes to health insurance, especially when it comes to health insurance companies, when they're being funded by the federal government or Medicaid, Medicare marketplace, Mm -hmm. and the federal government is telling them this is what you need to do in order to secure your funding and keep your contracts, then of course the health insurance companies are going to push that to their providers and incentivize them to push the shots. And that's what I was trying to convey. Yeah. Or your claims are not going to get, get paid basically. It, 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 it creates a friction point that they can apply pressure to, to force compliance kind of, is that, Exactly. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Anything else you want to add? Nope. That was it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, dear. All right. Uh, Let's go on with the audio here. MSNBC, uh, CNN, NBC, CBS. Let's see here. Okay. Uh, You know, if you've got tens of millions of dollars coming into your newsroom that's funding your organ. That's what I just talked about, so. We'll skip that. Uh, well, the space has been going for just over two, uh, two hours. How long have we been going on this? Or is it- when DNA was held up by the fact that he could Okay, and I think that's mostly what I wanted to go through there. I mean, there's more, and then we went on for so- another two hours in a subsequent one that I got dropped into. and <laughs> That was the one where it, I, I kind of felt sorry for him because Arlo got a little flustered and that's where he said like, my face is getting red. I, I'm hot. I'm angry. I don't understand this. And that's him dealing with those conflicting beliefs because time and time again, you know, one of the things that he said, he, they just love to have this 
well, it can't be because that conspiracy is just too grand and there's too many people involved and too many moving parts. And I just pointed out, I'm sorry, that's false. The Manhattan Project had plumbers, electricians, carpenters, roofers uh, to, to build this military base out in the middle of the desert. They brought in engineers, janitors, maids, um, groundskeepers, guards, lots of guards, guards everywhere. And that secret didn't get out for decades. The, the rumor was that well, it's a, some kind of new energy, so unlimited energy source. And it turns out that was the atomic bomb. So that was a case where, you know, he was proven wrong that these big secrets can be kept, even if there are a lot of people involved, because the military knows how to do that through compartmentalization and so forth. And then there was another one with the journalist. So we pointed out, well, that, you know, they couldn't bury a story this big. And I pointed out, well, yes, actually, Arlo, they can. And that's exactly what happened to Megyn Kelly because she had the goods on Jeffrey Epstein three years before that story broke. And, you know, his, his, uh, his partner or co-host Dia was kind of pointing to that to say, well, see, there's this, do you know about this international organization of journalists? And I said, yes, that's the group that did Pegasus and, and did the expose on them is excellent. And she's like, well, there's the proof that they can't do it. And I'm like, well, here's Megan Kelly and Jeffrey Epstein, obviously, it can. And then, you know, they made the same claim about the universities, not, uh, you know, why wouldn't they do it? I'm like, well, they're getting government funding. And then later in the conversation, it came up that two of the universities got samples from, they, were, they requested SARS-CoV-2 samples from the CDC. They received those samples. They looked at them under a microscope and found 100% of the cases they were influenza A or B. They wrote back and said, no, this is a influenza A and B. We want COVID. Do you have it? And they said, no, we don't. So then they're suing. And she's like, oh, that's the government-funded universities that are doing that? I'm like, okay, yes, because not every single grad student is in on it, Dia. But, uh, you know, the department head can get a phone call from the president and say, hey, shut this down. This is very bad for the university. And guess what's going to happen? So like they, they want this, they want the conspiracy to be this, um, uh, all this, um, I don't know what the, it's everywhere and it's everyone's involved and so forth. And that's just not the case. It's too complicated. There's too many people. What they do instead is go around and put out fires they do use, use their sort of tentacles of control to move things in the direction they want to go. And they use that power, those relationships, they leverage that to shut down anyone that's a problem. And not everybody has to be in on it. There's a hundred different ways to skin a cat, right? Okay. Let me see. Oh, a little pause. Come on in, sir. What do you got to say? Oh, you're muted. Yeah, just uh, that just pulled me on stage. Hey, Sam. Um, I'm just driving back from uh, seeing Sting in concert, so I'm in a pretty good mood. Oh, yeah. You saw, um, who I was it? Sting. Sting, awesome. Sting, classic. Yeah, from the police. So he was brilliant. Um well, and thanks for coming on that show. When I invited you on that first show, Censoring the Truth, 
I thought it was going to be all aspects of the truth, you know, whether it's Jamie Diamond manipulating the price of silver, mm-hmm. the commodities market. I, there's so many places it could have gone, and I really wanted to touch on all of them. It's been so long since I even thought about talking about the vaccine because I put that that to bed over a year and a half ago when all my family got vaccinated. Yeah. So for me, that fight that fight was lost, and people, now it's just a matter of seeing how it plays out. Mm-hmm. So to spend five and a half hours <laughs> trying, it's not trying to convince someone. Like the time for convincing people that was so far gone. Yeah. So um, it's, I just I really thankful for the amount of effort you put into that um, and everyone else and Stephanie and, and the light and thank you all for, for joining in because it was so unbelievable that someone who has their own show called Question Everything had never heard of um, Peter McCulloch, you yeah. know, the most published uh, cardiologist of all time yeah. or Robert Malone or it just it baffled me that they never heard any of that information. And the whole way through, like especially in that second show, I didn't know what we were doing. I just saw the space come alive and jumped in. Okay. And then I saw you jump in. So I was, I didn't know that was happening. I, I, when I, jumped I just in, got a I heard, DM and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. I'm, I'm glad you did because I was in the playground with my kids. I said to my wife, take the kids home. I think I'm going to be walking <laughs> um, and uh, joining this conversation. And when I joined in, they were playing a recording of you. Right back when you were discussing how you got out of cryptocurrency, um, your show out of cryptocurrency and moved it into discussing um, the elections because you could see some funny business. And they were highlighting conspiracy theories and they were very much picking and choosing the content. Um, I want to talk about those guys when I finish up here. And then they played a clip with me. And so that's when um, I sort of, invited myself on stage because, you know, I was there. I can mm-hmm. defend myself. Yep. Um, and, I was, and I was very much happy to because all the information I was conveying was always incredibly easy to prove. All I ever said, especially in that second show, was, you know, the PCR test was never meant for this use case. Yes. It's very easy to find. Look it up. I only wanted to give them information that was, they couldn't go and turn it into conspiracy theory stuff. Mm-hmm. I, the next thing I go and say, you know, they died with COVID, was um, not died of COVID. They put down every use, every time someone died with COVID in their system, they call it as a COVID death. Mm-hmm. You know, is that, fair? is that fair on the data that you're looking at? And by the way, you can't tell me I'm wrong there. That's very easy. And I think other things like, you know, how late it took them to tell us or for us to find out that they were saying you could not transmit the disease if you were yes. vaccinated, blatant lie and very easy to prove. So I only wanted to offer my opinions in a way that they can't have a go back at me because you can find this information as factual so easily. But the issue they took was should they find that information, their lives change forever and yes. they don't want that to happen. Yes. They cannot handle the red pill. Yes. They need to stay on the green pill. Because if at any moment this information should be true, their lives, uh, their friendships, their relationships, everything has changed forever. That's right. And they could not allow that to be true. And so they needed to stay in that cognitive dissonant level of protection, that layer of protection. So they would do whatever it took 
to find the data that reaffirmed what kept them safe and their normal way of life. And they couldn't at any stage allow what we were saying, no matter how factual, come into play because they couldn't have that happen. Yeah, let me just um, add to that, want, pause, and I'll let you go yeah, on. Please, please. They went out, Not, I mean, I guarantee you, they went out and convinced their friends and loved ones to also take the shot because it was the right thing to do and it was based on the data. And so acknowledging that they were incorrect means that they misled all of their friends as well. So they're just, and and that's why I think Arlo was almost having this breakdown on the show is, I just, you know, I think he felt probably flustered and like outnumbered, outgunned, whatever. We keep hitting him with facts and things that he was just absolutely clueless of. And he's sitting there saying that he's the skeptic, the skeptic that's going to look into all these claims. And he didn't even, like you said, he didn't know about the frontline doctors. He didn't know about the Mouse Army, Jickey Links, the self-organizing collectives, Project Drastic, all, you know, the the hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of content and studies and things that we've covered. He was oblivious. Both of them were oblivious to all of that. And that's really the, the, like the take home from this show that I, that I want you guys to walk away with as listeners. It is their skepticism. It's, I, I have no problem with skepticism and I like the questions that he was asking and let's get to the best evidence and so forth at the same time the way that they were applying that led them completely down the wrong path. Yeah, there was a, another example I would have loved to have him to actually seen. I should have explained it to him about a doctor we have here called Dr. Karen Phelps. She's uh, and it's such an easy one to look up. Like it's Dr. Karen Phelps. She's um, she's a fe- she's a female and she's married to a woman. Um, so she's a big voice in the equal rights movement. She's a doctor and a well-respected one. She's also in politics and has held some really high positions. And she was one of the most vocal voices across all fronts about Provax. And she was aggressive too. She was one of the ones, you're selfish. And she was really hard on people, you know. But at the same time, after the first shot, her wife had an incredibly bad reaction, right? Mm -hmm. She, you know, life-changing, wheelchair, pain every day, like, life over, vaccine injury. But she still pushed the shot and she still went out and got her second shot. And on her second shot, she then got injured. And it was only after, she's a, she's a family of two, right? Yeah. Now both of them are vaccine injured. And then she goes on television and she plays the victim. She plays the victim to distance herself from the crosshairs that she knows is now coming. Yeah. She told everyone to take the shot. Yeah. So she goes on national television, she gets out in front of it early, and she mm-hmm. says, for me, the TGA lied to me about the information I gave you, the doctors weren't allowed to speak, and she now takes the other side to protect herself from all the people she's injured. Yep. And that's a classic example of a politician swapping sides. Running they out know in front of the parade. Up. And they can just go and Google Karen Phelps, the morning show, vaccine injured. And mm-hmm. it's right there, clear as day, the flip. And it's we, that kind of thing. And then you get the other side of that is like with the um, president of the AMA, the American Medical Association for, I believe it was Western Australia. 
her 23 year old daughter died suddenly in bed. She, she worked for a company that would uh, do private security and events and stuff for VIPs. So she's traveling as part of that job and obviously vaccinated and her own daughter dies suddenly healthy girl. You know, she looked great found dead in her bed at 23. I wrote a letter to all of them and like, she's also just, just nope, it couldn't have been that. And I'm going to push ahead and just keep going because accepting the reality that I've, I've pushed my daughter to do something that's resulted in her death is a really, really hard pill to swallow. And that's what we found. Uh, I don't know if you remember when, when I was going through all of these, uh, basketball, high school basketball players that were dropping dead or sports players that were dropping dead. And the parents would never comment on the vaccine question. And I would ask them and people would lash out, how dare you ask such a thing? And da, 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 da. it's, it, it's because they can't admit it to themselves that they've done something that they've participated in something so horribly that went so horribly wrong. Yeah, and I that that second show we did, which when we ended up on their show, mm-hmm. that like you could hear how exhausted Arlo was. Now yeah. I jumped back into it. I jumped back into that show. Um, we were driving, so we were on my wife's phone. So they didn't know I was there, and I wasn't doing it to be covert. We were simply on my wife's phone in the car. So listening to how they wrapped up the show, you weren't there anymore. I, I don't know how much longer you went on for, but I could imagine you being you would have. Um, tried to help them see as much as possible. So thank you again. But listening to them wrap up the show, they continually said that you came from a, the right place. Like you genuinely came from a place of love. Yeah. You're a very intelligent person. They said that you, your heart was 100% in the right place. You genuinely cared for people and um, that you were both just too far apart to ever end up on the same page but they really did give you as much credit as possible for okay, being an incredibly intelligent, loving, honest, um, you know, person who was saying everything they were saying for the right reasons. But at the same time, they couldn't see how you came to your conclusions. And I think, I think we know why that was. Um, I didn't think we'd ever be visiting this conversation in such detail again. I thought we'd be talking about 15 minute cities, but, um, nope. So hopefully after this show today, Sam, we can wrap up this and hopefully only support those who are injured with better protocols moving forward because, you know, this conversation's done. I'm exhausted. He was ruined, dude. He was ruined. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, what they don't recognize and and I think um, the shortcoming of their perspective is not realizing I've done thousands of hours over the last three years digging into this looking at the nitty-gritty finding the details actually looking at both sides and trying to make sense of it and and get through all of this to help my audience understand the risks the you know what they're being told what they're not being told what makes more sense and then giving them uh, I guess as much information as I can so they could make up their own mind and they just they needed to jump to conclusions about me because they didn't have all the context that I have. And that's, you know, that's like a, when you talk about conspiracy theorists and you try and explain to someone 9-11 was an inside job or there's chemtrails or what, 
it's this it's the whole same process if you haven't taken the time to actually look into it and look past the the claims that are supposedly debunk all this stuff then you fall victim to propaganda not always but a lot of the times and of course there's a lot of nonsense out there as well so it's a it's a fine balance to walk i try to do that and i don't i also don't think they quite comprehend just how many times i've been wrong uh over the years with things that i i suggested or thought were correct and were not and how many times i've also come out and said i was wrong about this i've changed my mind now here's what i think and that that's happened i would say at least a dozen times yeah and we didn't even get the opportunity to try and break down the basics of what's even going on mm-hmm. with it. You know, you would have heard me mention, you know, it didn't stay at the injection site, but yeah. they only wanted to discuss when I discuss the conspiracy side of how does the government and media all stay aligned on this topic yeah. when we didn't even get to say, you know, the reason you need to do a D-dimer test is because the spike, you know, when it connects to an ACE2 receptor, gets recognized as a tear and, um, you know, the platelets get sick. None of that got covered. Right. None of that sort of fundamental um, medical side of what is actually going on. Pathology. All yep. it was is just conspiracy and why would the government be in on this? So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off them, but thanks again. That, as I said, last week was such a marathon to have to go right back to the beginning of day one after not covering this stuff for so long <laughs> and just try and un- and trying to un- unpack it to very intelligent people who uh-huh. show how incredible the censorship. That show that I did originally was about censorship, mm-hmm. and it perfectly proved how great their censorship was mm-hmm. if they didn't even get any of that information yes. after all these years. They didn't get a single word of it. So that, as far that, as the censorship, censorship goes, they got it censored. Yeah, they, they just just the, the complete ignorance of all those things out there of someone calling themselves a skeptic was that was the biggest takeaway for me. Like, Holy shit, you really don't know about any of this stuff that's going on. And that's why I think Arlo was getting so frustrated is just, he keeps getting blindsided with reality. I mean, there were, you know, there was the project Manhattan, there was the Jeffrey Epstein story. And then there were two others where it just, took and blew his argument out of the water and now he's like okay well what do i do with it and you, i could just feel the cognitive dissonance the the conflict going on within him and i hope that hope that he could come around and um you know like uh, stephanie mentioned to me offline that like he would be a great ally somebody like that that's smart that's finally uh take that i've maybe opened their eyes to at least look at some of this stuff of course he came away from the ethical skeptic saying it's too complicated. Therefore I'm not going to consider it. And I, I just like how, how can you call that science? How can you call that, uh, call yourself a skeptic when that's the tact, that's the approach you're taking. Because again, that guy's just made millions of dollars being good at what he does, being the subject matter expert. And you're going to dismiss it out of hand because, well, he's using a bunch of complicated data sources, which, turns out to be three and they're all the government approved numbers. And he's showing how, you know, it's just like you said, it goes on and on. There's so much to it and they have no idea about any of this. And they, cause all they've done is taken the, the official narrative 
and repeated it. And when it gets challenged, they go to the fact checkers and the fact checkers straighten it out. And then they go back with the fact check and that's it for them. They, they are, they have successfully debunked the claim and that's just, that's the system that was set up to keep people in the dark. So appreciate it. I'm going through some really bad, I'm going through some really bad Wi-Fi. And this is just a message for Arlo, because if Arlo, if you hear this recording, I want you to know I really appreciated the way you so calmly asked so many questions and yes. didn't get flustered yes. and did your very best to try and take it on, because what we were asking you to take on for the first time was if you were hearing everything that we had worked, understood over so many years and mm-hmm. we got each piece of information one at a time, mm-hmm. and then once we pulled on that thread, we got to the next one, to try and take that all in in five hours, that would have blown anyone's mind. And for trying to take it on as calmly as you did, brother, mate, I love you for doing so. And I hope one day one of those threads pulls through and you get to see the truth without it being someone in your family having to suffer consequences of a vaccine injury. All right, guys, I'm out. Love you all. Later. Thank you, Paz. Thank you so much. All right, Crypto Normie, go ahead. Hi, Sam. How are things? Uh, doing great, man. What's on your mind? Good. There's, a, there's an angle about all of this, you know, people who are vaccinated and who are not vaccinated. From what I can gather, I mean, I'll be honest, I've given talk to people about it now. It's like, as, as the last speaker said, it, it's so far done in my boot now. But the people that are vaccinated who haven't got any injuries, they're not even thinking about this anymore. Right. And like, you know, the people that are unvaccinated and still worry about what's going, ha- what's going on and what's going to happen moving forward. People who are vaccinated don't care anymore because they're all right as far as they're concerned. And if they're not all right, they haven't, in my view, they haven't got the brain capacity to realize what's happened. And they won't look at stats either. They won't yes. look at numbers. They won't look at stats. I've got some people in my friends group who I admittedly I don't speak to as much as I used to still deny that event 201 was even a thing. They say it's made up conspiracy theory rubbish. And that's what some people, that's what I'm, like, I give up now, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Do you know what I mean? The people are so far backwards that they can't even jump on Google and research event 201 and believe they're all right. It's it, crazy. It's the, it's the cognitive dissonance. Like, they, they want to be right <clears throat> about their previous assumptions that they can't that that led to decisions that they now can't undo they can't unvaccinate so they're they're and that's like the portion of the audience or the of the population that i talk about there's just some people that won't save themselves they're going to go down with the ship some of them hopefully will be fine that's the thing we don't know a lot of these people they might actually be in the clear but I think what the data shows, yeah. what we're seeing is a lot of them are going to run into trouble before 2030, like not be with us. And, so and that, probably, that, probably, but how, much, how many of them people are then going to put that down to the vaccine? Uh, do you know what I mean? Being yeah. seven years away, none of, uh, them, none of them are going to put that down to the vaccine. Yeah, they're, they're going to be gaslit into their graves. And, and like that's yeah. why talking about it and sort of, making people aware and bringing it out like what Woody Carlson did on, uh, or Woody Harrelson did on Saturday night live. That's breaking through to those groups to get them thinking, Hey, wait a minute. 
I mean, you just have to get them questioning and if they start looking, the whole thing's going to unravel really fast, especially now that we've got Twitter, uh, you know, freed from the censorship because like, that's something I noticed and commented on a, a tweet today. I'm seeing all of these official doctors, which I used to like hammer with some tweets and stuff. Some of them would block me, but a lot of them would just ignore it and then wait for the censors to come in and deplatform me or, you know, other people making comments like that. Whereas now, because they're not getting people like me are not getting deplatformed, they're just blocking all of their detractors. And it's, it's really been this sort of turn of it, turnabout of events where they're on the defensive now and they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear, they don't want to expose people to the idea that they were wrong about this. No, they, they definitely don't. And I, just quickly, there's a, uh, <laughs> I used to have a lot of people who I call the high IQ grade, grade um, on my Facebook, whenever I posted something, uh-huh. it would be the same usual suspects would jump on and they'd all, they'd all like band together and, do you know what I mean? And, and have a pop at us. I haven't heard from any of them in, uh, at least a year and a half. And I know they look, you know, they look and they see what I put up. Now, we've just came back from America. I'm unvaccinated, as is my wife. I'm not supposed to be there, but in England, there's a way around it. Oh, okay. Um, as, as is a few other countries, have, basically, there's a way around it. So we went out two weeks in Florida, had a great time. Broke down on a ride in Universal. So we posted on Facebook while we were on the ride. Oh, broke down on uh, Kong, Skull Island. And one of these people jumped straight on that post. After about two years of complete ignoring us, said, oh, it's a bit of a nightmare you broke down on the ride, but at least you at least you relented and took and took the vaccine because <laughs> in my understanding, you can't get, can't get to America without taking it. And uh-huh. it took all I've been of proven my, right. You submitted... Uh, Sucker, there you go. Yeah. You lose, I win. Just so short-sighted. Yeah. Oh. And it took all, all, every fiber in my body not, not to obviously reply to it because I didn't want to get, you know, I didn't want to get being out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because we've got family out there as well, so we've got to be a little bit careful. But and me and my wife had a conversation about it. So like these people have lurked two years, not commented because they know they're wrong. And it's that, something so stupid that's made him comment. And, like, if he basically got berated, I just left it to everyone else. Everyone else said, like, you've been gone from his Facebook for two years and it's this that brought you back. All the stuff he's posted, all the figures, all the stats, you've not commented, but this brought you back. And he, he went, he left, he blocked us. Like, it's just unbelievable. Mm. Like, these people are just, they're so far gone, in my opinion, that it's, it's sad, but it's like it's been the longest, most unreliable, un- like rewarding. I told you so in history. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. It, we just got to get on. Get on it with is. It. It's sad. I, you know, like I still. I think there's there's value in. Oh, I'm gonna mute you right there. There's value in um, trying to there there there's the you know going back to Matthias Desmet and the whole. Uh, mass formation psychosis or mass formation as you just like to call it there's this 30 percent that 
you, you're not going to say that that's your friends that you're talking about that are coming back to poke you in the eye. Ha ha, you submitted. Uh, but there's this other 40% or so that are, you know, maybe reachable. And if we can wake them up, uh, and, and I think the other component of this is to try and get people, I, I think, or I guess the opportunity here, at least in my perspective and what I try to do with my show is not just, well, we got to get Fauci and Barrick and uh, Peter Daszak and put him in jail. That That's not going to fix anything. That's not going to fix any of these problems. The problems are with this sort of flawed, these flawed incentives, this government monopoly on power. We've got to get the government out. We've got to have the great decentralization away from these control paradigms because that's really what they are. And they are building more and more of them. You know, it was uh, just the utilities and, and the internet and so forth, but it's moving on to medical. It's going to move into food. It's going to move into lifestyle through the whole fake climate crisis that their narrative that they're going to push. So yeah, we just, I, I think there's value in trying to reach that group as well as um, show them this is a systemic problem, not a, we need to get the right people uh, problem. So, anyway, any other? I, I, I don't know where it, I don't know where it's coming. Someone like Fauci or, or someone of his stature being done for this and going to prison would hopefully wake a lot of people up. But I still don't think they believe it. Yeah, well. I, yeah. I just don't think, I still don't think it would resonate and they'd say, you know, that's why the excuse always oh, escape or you know, whatever. You know, even if the, the, the system, the, the politicians, the government, whatever does nothing about this, waking people up to the reality of, of, you know, how this system was abused, how it got out of control, I think is going to erode trust and that's going to force change over time. And that's, to me, it's still a valuable exercise. Any final thoughts? Yeah. No, just keep up the good work and one day we'll all be in crypto, for example. We'll all be sitting on a beach with lots of food and blood. Yeah, I caught the last part. That sounds good. All right, sir, I appreciate it. Uh, I want to go through this article here. This is the Elgato Mallow. Uh, he put this out February 23rd. I think that's what, a week ago? No, three days ago. And I liked it. It's talking about the ONS. Now, this is the UK. So, and again, you know, tying this back to Arlo and Dia, they one of their claims is, well, why wouldn't the data show this in other countries if this is really happening you know why are they why are they rigging the numbers as well well guess what uh from agato malo's Substack, back in may the uk statistical agency ons stopped reporting all cause of death numbers by vaccine status in response to a number of serious criticisms now if you remember we were looking at those monthly and so was the expose and and it was pointing out that you know they would try and report it as uh, unvaccinated, vaccinated once, vaccinated uh, two doses, booster, boosted, and they would break out those three 
uh, categories to make it look like the unvaccinated was the worst one. But really, you should combine all three of those and then the vaccinated group was far worse off. And they're like, oh, this data is not suited for that purpose. You can't use it that way. Of course, I remember doing a show talking about one of the one of their assertions where that's exactly what they were doing, exactly how they were using it to prove one of their points. But when it shows something that's counter to the narrative, then it's unfit for the purpose. So, you know, lots of hypocrisy and double standards there, obviously. Uh, they went so far as to admit that their data was not, in fact, suited to purpose and uh, was of too low a quality to be relied upon to assess vaccine efficacy or outcomes. Uh, the main complaint here was they were using this old census data and uh, the unvaccinated, they were taking that out-of-date population count and subtracting it from the number of people jabbed. So what does that mean? Well, it means the unvaccinated group was actually much larger than what the numbers reflected. And so anytime somebody was injured, they would go into that group. But because that group was only counted as this much instead of this much, it made it look like it was much worse in the unvaccinated group. So that's how they were rigging the numbers here. This is going to severely undercount the unvaccinated because the population has risen since then. That in turn will mean bad outcomes like deaths from this larger population will be ascribed to a to too small of a group, what I just described there. Uh, that in turn will mean that the apparent rate per person per year of a bad outcomes will look too high and that will d destroy the validity of the comparison by greatly inflating the base risk. So, and we talked about this issue as well uh, months and months ago. That's why they went to this alternate data source and it's uh, none other than the ONS's own Sarah Cowell described this update and its reasons to me. Uh, let me see. During one of the proposed fix was by updating the 2021 census. That was their suggestion, ONS's suggestion. In particular, I had a lot of questions about the number of unvaxxed as when you used a better number like the UK HSA. So this is where the self-organizing collectives went out and found a better data source and applied it. It massively inverted the signals and made it clear. And I think that's the article we might have read at the time from Elgato Mello. Uh, it made it clear that vaccines were uh, on an age-stratified basis associated with much higher all-cause all death rates. And this seemed deeply suspicious, a deeply suspicious time to cease reporting, right? Because that's what we were pointing out. As we were going through, it's getting worse and worse over time. And eventually it was getting so bad and they were starting to get so many uncomfortable questions they just stopped reporting. You could see right there, just this sea of red, sea of red numbers that's showing, uh, what is this? Excess deaths by age group. And of course, I think this is also the source that we use to sort of correlate the increase, the sudden increase in excess deaths with the rollout, the staged rollout of the vaccines. Because they, remember, they did it by age going backwards. So there was another data point suggesting these shots are to blame. Well, I was half right. It was too big, but they seem to have gone to massive links to hide it. The new set of ONS data available here, he's got the link for it, is flat out worse than before. They did not fix the denominator undercount issue. They doubled down on it. 
this data appears highly manipulated and contains such improbable, impossible assumptions that I'm not sure what to call it other than deliberate misrepresentation. This is not coming clean. It's a whitewash. Let's look. So he's saying we start here on table one. Uh, I selected all cause deaths for December and uh, this is December 2022 unvaccinated 1227 ever vaccinated, meaning they've gotten one or more shots, 36,865. Okay. The core claim from this data was that vaccines are associated with lower all-cause deaths, 944 per 100,000 person years, and 1,026 in the never-vaxxed. But this claim is rooted in some truly Herculean data manipulation. When we calculate the simple ratio of deaths per 100,000 person years, we get 206 for the unvaccinated, 1113 for the ever vaccinated. Vaxxed is over five times higher. This does not mean it's wrong to claim that the vaxxed is better on an age standardized basis. The unvaxxed skew younger and thus have lower expected death rates, but it does mean that it's an age adjustment doing all the work here and the output will only be as good as the assumption model. Do you see? So they've got to massage the numbers and uh, the integrity with which that calculation was derived is what's going to determine the validity of the data is what he's pointing out here. Number two, worse, when we calculate the assumptions about percentage ever vaxxed versus never vaxxed by comparing person years, we get to their core assumption about the size of the unvaxxed, 15.2% of the total population, and this is wildly low. There is no data anywhere else in the UK that looks remotely like this, and this assumption taints every other aspect of this analysis to the point of extreme inversion. According, uh, Meaning they're just basically using this to fabricate data. According to the UK HSA, uh, this number is absurdly low. There is no tranche of UK society under age 50 that is heavily vaccinated. Some have tried to claim that the UK HSA data cannot be compared to this ONS data because it is a subset. That was their, their retort when this comparison was first done. But I find it objectionable, but I find this objection unconvincing for several reasons. Number one, this is a large subset comprising the majority of the UK population. The data is much higher quality as it comes from counting actual medical records instead of inferring, assuming the count of the unvaccinated and constitutes the base rate risk used for all comparisons. So it's based on real records rather than a 10-year-old census and subtracting out the vaccinated and then taking whatever's left of what was a smaller population 10 years ago and counting those as the quotient for the vaccinated. Three, uh, the subset, it includes disproportionately excludes the very young and more recent immigrants. This would seem like likely to, if anything, undercount the unvaccinated relative to the full population. We need some sort of sanity check on these ONS claims, and this seems like the most authoritative one. Perhaps it is not exact, but I suspect it's far higher quality and less error prone than ONS estimation that looks increasingly rigged. It is the one used to measure the most diseases, disease issues in the UK. And this, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the DMED data, same kind of thing. That was the gold standard. And we had some clear safety signals out of there. 
to, as much as possible, avoid the issue of opaque ONS age adjustment and get a more granular look, I'm going to switch to looking at the age stratified data. Unfortunately, nearly all of this data is perhaps deliberately presented in a Bayesian mess where it is split up by vaccine status as though that is some sort of independent variable when it's not. Everyone who had who has three doses at some point had two and one pass through that risk strata. This creates a left truncation issue where only the healthiest and the least cold make it to dose three. The only real exception is table five, which has very little data, but is still instructive to look as we can see what percentage of deaths by age strata were in vax versus unvaxed. The problem with this data is it gives deaths by status, not by a count of people or person years. This seems an odd omission given that it is present in many other parts of the data and they clearly have it and it's part and parcel to the effort of hide the ball games endemic in this data we've we've covered that where that's exactly what they're doing over you know several times i can think of at least two or three that are coming to mind over the past few years where it looks like they are intentionally obfuscating the data to cover their ass but we can still calculate the percentage of deaths in each group if we use the UK HSA data to estimate the group size. We can get some risk ratios, and these look quite bad for the vaccines. All-cause mortality is higher in all groups. I had to combine 80, so he's given some caveats here. But what are you looking at? Uh, what is this one? 18 to 39, 1.47 times more likely to die if you're vaccinated. 1.28 in 40 to 49, 1.04, 1.24, 1.44, 1.82 for the 80 and over. This is nothing like the data claim the ONS is seeking to pass off. It shows highly elevated risk of death in the vaxxed if we use more plausible population statistics. Is this exact? No, but it's likely good enough to give us an intuition that is not well, that all is not well, and what the trick here is ONS provide the person years data on age stratified basis in table two. Then despite the stratification also age adjusted. Unfortunately, they no longer provide ever vaccinated versus never and split it into the bad Bayesian buckets that have become so familiar. And unlike back in May are no longer providing enough data to even assess the 21 day period post jab. So again, they've just been, reducing what they're releasing the raw data and this is what jicky and the others have been calling for give us the raw data and they're just refusing to do that same thing going on with the cdc in a lot of a lot of these cases they're like it's our it's our study well can we see the data well no you can't okay taking their stratified and base boggled asmr age standard mortality rates per hundred thousand data at face value and ignoring this issue we get this so you can see these, there's these charts here and it's got a blue line, which is the unvaccinated, I believe. Let me see. No, blue is one dose, red is two dose, green is three dose. And then, okay, all cause deaths. You can literally see how the risk is being pushed backwards and out of categories. One dose is extremely negative as it has nowhere to shift to. That's, oh, okay. So the first dose is the highest in all of these. The second one is much lower. The third one is even typically generally lower than that. So they're, they're doing this sort of shell game once again. 
two doses has a strong negative signal, but suddenly a third makes it efficacy. Although really only in 40 to 79. This seems biologically implausible. If a vaccine cannot teach you to resist a disease, more of it probably cannot either. Like if it doesn't work with one shot, why would three shots suddenly make it start working? The idea that you need to keep antibodies high by boosting all the time has never had any basis in fact. Like that's all, and that was their whole metric for success. Number go up for antibodies, so therefore it's working, but it, it, it's not stopping respiratory infection. It wasn't stopping transmission. It would in fact seem to imply that you cannot remember the response and replicate it even six months post-inoculation. Nothing about that has ever passed a smell test. More likely, this is just statistical games, but based on what Alberta uh, accidentally admitted, you can see just how bad this can be. But if you stop boosting and redefining uh, vaxxed, then the signal can emerge. See, this is this was that game that they played where because of that two-week window, and, and we covered Elgato Malo's story about that, because of that two-week window, you go into the last category. They need to keep people on the booster treadmill to keep this shell game going. This whole idea seems like extend and pretend using math games. Even if this signal were real, it, this also implies that anyone arriving at boosted has already likely run a gauntlet of higher risk rates and is a cold cohort with the weak removed. This would by itself make the claims about D3 working look problematic, right? Like there's people who didn't survive to this because they had a severe reaction and stopped taking them or, or they're dead. But here, there is another reason to discard this data uh, and its claims as well. The baseline risk for the unvaxxed appears massively exaggerated. And not only was this not fixed in the new version, it was accentuated. Using the new census somehow caused every age group apart from 80% to contain fewer unvaccinated as a percentage. And the margins were considerable and this effect therefore pronounced. So, and there he's got a chart showing how much all of these, uh, the, the quotient essentially that they're using, the number of unvaccinated shrank across all these categories. The meat of the curve from 40 to 79 that forms the core of reported efficacy for boosters saw the size of the unvaccinated cohort shrink to an average of 10.4%. Anyone who thinks that one in 10 people who made it to 2022 unjabbed decided to go ahead and get the shot, please raise your hand. <laughs> no, they haven't. We, we've made up our minds a long time ago, most of us. I do not know a single person above college age in my entire social network who made that choice. Does anyone? This seems incredibly implausible and bears out literally nowhere. See, that's how they've further shrunk the unvaccinated. They claim, well, these people finally, they finally came to their senses and went and started the five COVID shot series that was supposed to be two. These numbers are fantasiful and it has rendered this data a rigged job to uh, misattribute the all-cause deaths to the unvaxxed by even further undercounting them the effect from this is profound. <sighs> yeah, and you can see there the red versus blue is red is their data. Blue is the uh, UK HSA data, which is a better data source. It roughly doubles the risk ratios and causes them to pass through unity. Those 50 to 59 who were being described as 
7% less likely to die from all causes are now 25% more likely to die. 80 plus leaps from 4% benefit to an 88% increased likelihood of death. How precise is this? It's hard to say, but likely plenty good for this sort of gross analysis. The UK HSA data looks far more sound and likely errs toward undercounting the unvaccinated versus general pop. And so I think it gives us a pretty good signpost, especially when it's clear that ONS is playing silly buggers with the denominator, moving them to implausible levels to make trends they do not like to disappear. And same thing we saw at the CDC, exact same thing with the whole two week window of, well, two weeks after the shot, you're counted as the previous group as unvaccinated or as not taking the shot. I mean, it's just insane. If the ONS is correct and UK HSA is wrong, then the group outside UK HSA must be vaccinated at incredibly high rates versus what is generally deemed to be the representative group for UK in health matters. I'm not even clear it's mathematically possible, but the lack of data to do the analysis, if someone knows where to get it, let them know. There's uh, Igor Chertoff, um, look at took a look at this and saw something similar. We've covered several of his articles. His conclusion that the unvax were being undercounted by about 50%, which is to say that the group is roughly 2x the size claimed, very much footprints with mine. The uniformity of it is really quite striking. There's simply no way to trust a vaccine claim made with ONS data. It shows every sign of being a massive rig job that was suppressed. Post may find a way to rig it further before releasing it because the old level of rigging was insufficient to hide an increasingly bad signal. And this is what, you know, we talked about would be happening. This would get so bad that they wouldn't be able to hide it. And that's why they stopped reporting the data. And now, even with their latest manipulation, it's still not enough. The truth is still showing through in what data they are able to still try and release and it, it's still showing a negative signal. The vaccination numbers are deeply implausible and look to be grossly undercounted. Uh, okay, he's getting repetitive here. Let me see. Yeah, I think he's... Okay, best I can tell, they are playing the same denominator games as the CDC and layering Bayesian data crime uh, on top for good measure. I really had high hopes for this data set as a way to get the fabled all-cause mortality by vaccine status data he wants to get to the truth but i must concede that this is just junk unsuited for purpose and likely manipulated to be contrary to it gato pals martin neal and norman fenton appear to have been right all along about ons this is bad data possibly by design it fails to pass any sort of sniff test got more not less stinky and imposing even rudimentary adjustments to it to bring it into alignment with higher quality data strongly suggests strongly inverts the purported signal for booster efficacy itself an implausible inversion of double dosed outcomes i'm just not seeing any particular profitable way to work with it as is it's just one more reason to stop trusting regulators and government agencies and demand open data and this is again this is the data that people like arlo and others the the skeptics will rely on as the truth. And they just, they, they've never looked. They've never gone to someone who's skeptical and said, what do you think of this data? Because this has been out there. These are not new uh, 
issues being raised. These were raised over a year ago. We were talking about them. Other people were talking about them and they ignored them. So there you go. All right. That's all I wanted to cover with this show. It's been a long one already. We'll do, if anybody's got something they want to chime in with real quick on spaces, raise your hand right now. Otherwise I'm going to call it a day here. I don't think so. Give a few more seconds. So there you go. I, I Again, you know, to Arlo, if he's listening, I appreciate the discussion. You know, he maybe didn't know he was stepping into the ring with a, a lion, wildebeest. I don't know what he described me as, but I have a lot of knowledge. I've done a lot of work in this area and he clearly hasn't. Um, but I appreciate him at least being open to have the discussion. There are so many people that just would not talk to me about these issues will shut down. Like uh, one of the callers was talking about earlier, their friends calling to rub it in about, ha ha, you finally got the shot because you're in the USA. It's like, yeah, okay. Okay. So there you go. All right, folks, we'll catch y'all next broadcast. I'm Sam Dotson. Thanks everyone. Can't see what's happening by now, then you're blind They said it was to save lives, yeah that was a lie The writing's on the wall man, can't you see the signs Now they coming for the children, they just crossed the line They said just give it time, only three weeks and it will all be fine They want you tuned in to that TV every night So that they can implant fear deeply in your mind Now in order to defeat them, yo we need to unite The Ministry of Truth has taken over There's a reason that they chose Corona, yeah Corona means crown work it out man it's all symbolism from the beginning they told you a virus of the mind infecting your thoughts but enough is enough now we're saying no more we see the trojan horse at the door this is war we can't ignore the call big brother's gonna fall yeah we gotta light the torch for humanity because 1984 wasn't fantasy george orwell was warning what the plan would be now you can see it all in their strategy yeah they want to call us conspiracy theorists but right now we're the ones that are seeing the clearest this is social engineering how many alarm bells have to ring before people start to hear them serious ah can't you see this is deliberate they hand out sanitizers and masks but not vitamins mcdonald's stayed open same time the gyms didn't the only pandemic is cognitive dissonance yeah this is totalitarian people are waking up so they need to keep scaring them declaring new waves and new variants they got tricks up their sleeves so we gotta be prepared for them they choose what the facts are with their propaganda we know what their plans are so they won't get that far nah you don't have to be pythagoras to see that this ain't adding up how much until you've had enough ah right now it's the last straw yeah they're slowly bringing in their passports it's been leading to this from the start time to look into your heart now and choose what you stand for it's the dehumanization of the nation erasing the basic foundations of human relations the emergence of apartheid creating segregation that's the road that they're paving because if you're not jabbed then it's you that they're blaming it's you that is dangerous mass manipulation coercing you to get penetrated what's the difference between that and a rapist i think their plot's got some holes they want you to follow rules but they don't it's a joke now it's coming to the end of the road it's a fight for our souls how much of your life have they already stole 
And how much more will they try to? How much will you turn a blind eye to? Roll up your sleeve and get a free donut to eat. Can't you see they're trying to bribe you? What's really in that concoction? How many adverse reactions till we stop this? How many must die for power, lies and profits? I refuse to just stand by watching, no that is not an option What if that was your kid, maybe then you would start talking Maybe then you'd see the point, the children need a voice We need to fight for their future before it's destroyed